Okay, we are live for a few seconds now. So, welcome, John Hogue, to Radiant Creators. Um, this is our anniversary. This is the day in 2021 that we did the uh, predictions for 2021. So we thought, wow, let's do an anniversary show. Maybe we'll make it a yearly anniversary. And um, basically, we're going to talk to John Hogue. He is a, well, Nostradamus scholar, a lifelong wisdom seeker, you know, definitely somebody who hung out with Osho and gained a lot from him. Just in general, a wise dude who is um, helping the world out with that wisdom. So thanks for being on, John Hogue. We're going to look into, and of course, an astrologer, and we're going to look into 2022 and just see what kind of vibes we see there in the stars and prophecy in John's personal insights and all of that. And something you mentioned on uh, Leak Project when you were talking to him about 2022 was this. You said 2022 is going to be a year of breakthrough or breakdown. I love that. And I think so far that's been the case. So, John Hogue, thanks for being on How's it going and how does 2022 look? Well, well, to, just to make sure the quote is correct, I actually had it in reverse. I said uh, it's a year of break, either breakdown or nervous breakdown or nervous breakthrough. Yes. That's what I said. So, that, yes. So, emphasis on the positive, the breakthrough, because, um, you know, the art of life is to respond to whatever life throws at you and use it as an alchemical experience to become more loving, become more aware uh, on classroom earth. What else is there to do? So, so we're now entering a year that is, that reminds me a lot of, uh, well, it's a year of upheaval. We've seen we've seen for a while now the cracks of the systemic problems of our basic our society, and that's globally in all the different colors of it, of society, of religion, of politics, of of um, nations, economy. These are these major pillars of what we've known for pretty much. The, the ascendant West starting a thousand years ago, really getting going 500 years ago, is going through a historical axis shift where the focus is returning. It's like it's walked slowly from China, which one of the first uh, cultures, 5,000 years old, and it is slowly, slowly walked an epicenter of where things happen that changed the world has moved slowly so it got into the middle east with assyria and persia and all of that that was the center alexander uh then then it moved into slowly slowly well then the islamic world was the final explosion of uh during the the peak periods during the time of the moors where the golden age of the islamic world where it was discovering algebra and making numbers and doing so many other things, great advances in medicine, great advances in Arabic literature. And then it, that moved all the way and reached up into Spain. And then it was the Crusades that brought us out of the mud huts, the Western people, and discovered a lot of what was kind of in decline of the kind of 
pan-Arabic culture that was created by the spread of Islam in the seventh century. By 300 years later, 1000 to 1100 AD, we begin the Crusader period. And this was the people came out back home from the Crusades, different, learning different things. And then another great upheaval uh, actually brought on the Renaissance, which was in the 1350s and 60s, the Black Death decimated uh, all the laborers of, uh, of the time. And so they started, that's actually the beginning of uh, Hansliatic cities, um, the, the beginning of what the vestiges of what would be a dominating force of the West, its mercantile capabilities. Later on, it's middle classes. Later on, uh, it's Renaissance. And then the Renaissance was actually a, uh, resurgence of looking back at a world before the Dark Ages, the world of the classics, the world of Rome and Greece, and and even earlier uh, back into Egypt and Persia and Jerusalem and all of that. It's uh, it is where uh, if one truly wants to understand the mindset of the most famous prophet of that we know since World War II is Michel Nostradamus. Uh, he was a Renaissance man of the high French Renaissance period. And in the 1550s and 1560s is when he wrote his, his many almanacs of prophecies for local times, as well as his magnum opus, Les Prophetiers, the prophecies of Michel de Nostradamus. Uh, that is a history of the future that goes past the date of 3797 AD. Mm. So starts in 1555 and goes there. Now, um, to understand Nostradamus, one has to know the Renaissance, the Renaissance that he grew up in, and and all of its little details of things that we would just take for granted or ignore or do what most people do whenever looking at history. They do it actually with the future history as well as the past. People have an unconscious habit of judging the past according to what they know in their present. And it's one of the lessons that's least taught in history classes, but the most important to know that um, this hubris of seeing the past according to your views as you've been programmed to see them in the present also colors what is in the future. Uh, we, no matter how wild it goes, uh, we still think there's going to be light speed and lightsabers in the future. Maybe there won't be. Maybe there'll be completely different f forms of teleporting people to different dimensions rather than actually try wormholes or <laughs> cram people in an asteroid and send them seven, eight hundred years, generation after generation to another planet. Certainly uh, the galactic the inference in Nostradamus's dating is that we are attempting to become a galactic civilization by 3797 AD. So, so that's uh, how we do that. Uh, I think will actually be quite different from from what generally is being taught through the beauty of our prophets that have hidden behind science fiction. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and and so. So 
so the prejudice built in innocently, unconsciously in all of us is the prejudice of seeing the future as we wanted to see it or as we are afraid it may be seen without facing our fears or our anticipations or expectations, our hubris. Then equally and more dangerously is the way in which people are looking at the past uh, completely with the same prejudices and hubris of the present. And so when I write about Nostradamus, like I did the first complete biography of Nostradamus ever attempted, uh, Nostradamus, A Life and Myth, um, I one of the subplots of the story was to tell people, to show people things that they would take for granted that did not exist in the time of Nostradamus. For instance, um, we live in a world that's crowded with people. We live in a world where a major town is at least 50 to 100,000 people. A major town in Nostradamus' time, like Salon en Provence, it was called Salon de Croix, Croix at that time, was 4,000 people. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I live in what I call a village here in Langley, Washington on Whidbey Island that has one-fourth of that population. And when I went to Salon and saw the way it looks, uh, the old city, uh, of course, it's much more now, uh, it's very small. And it just had a little out rock outcropping, which probably was a, a castle in medieval times out in the, the Croix Plain, which is mostly on one side of Salon. It ends, there's this huge gravel desert, it's just gravel that goes for like 20, 30 miles. And it's right on the edge of that. Uh, and so you have the L'Empérie, which is the chateau that's on there, which only one of its four towers is still surviving because of the earthquake of 1909 that took the other three towers down. So it was a really squared off old, uh, old uh, castle. Uh, probably had all the serfs living around it, but now down at the shadow of that little hill was all this little town. And uh, it was only 4,000 people all crammed together. Paris, when Nostradamus went to Paris for the first time, uh, being summoned by the king and queen to explain his prophecies that were already being whispered about uh, that he was talking about some kind of jousting accident. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, uh, so that was when it happened four years later, that's what made Nostradamus famous even though he was trying to prevent it from happening. He wrote, mm. he wrote those prophecies. He risked writing them with the danger it might bring from him to, from the Roman Inquisition, which was what is the mainstay Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition, thanks to Monty Python, gets a lot of, a lot of attention in a wonderful way. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Roman Inquisition was the Inquisition that was the longest lasting for centuries, which uh, basically uh, was constantly looking, especially during the time of Nostradamus' time, because you know, when he was a high school kid, what would have been called high school, he was in Avignon uh, on the Run River, going to high school at the same time that Copernicus was making his interesting uh, changes about orbits, and mm -hmm. um, and also Martin Luther had 
nailed his theses on the Wartburg church and created uh, the protesting, the protestant uh, answer to the Catholic flake, uh, Catholic flake, that's an interesting Freudian slip, Catholic faith. <laughs> yeah. I would interject here that in my own experience, uh, Osho once said, uh, my, my teacher, my meditation master said, that um, any, anything that is borrowed from the outside ends up being stupid. Faith mm. is borrowed. A lot of people think trust is faith. It is not because you cannot borrow trust. You are is what you literally bring into this world of shapes and phenomena when you're born. It is your being. It is knowing and feeling and reconnecting with that lost innocence of being, which societies constantly uh, coach you either to be a drone of Saudi Arabia or a drone of America or a drone of Israel or whatever name your your country, name your poison. And this it's a different kind of prisoning and poisoning of, of making people egocentric. And to do that, it's like I've said before on the show, I believe, uh, that, uh, you know, the ocean's always the ocean, but people are taught that when they're in the shape of waves coming out of the ocean to see things only in the shape of waves, competing with other waves, uh, running their course as a wave, uh, fighting, striving, or if they get more spiritual after many lives of rising and falling as a wave identity trying to reconnect and reconstruct itself, um, are then becoming... Uh, now they're getting religious. Now I've got to find the Buddha wave. Now I got to be an aware wave, and mm -hmm. and the 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 all of it. No matter how noble the terms, how noble the goals, it's exactly a useless thing to do because you cannot become what you always have been. You are the ocean. Yeah. If you want to look at a Buddha awareness, it's the ocean. The shaping of it, the identity with the shaping, the way you might judge your shape of wave against others in the comparison that is the footpath to hell comparison, um, is instilled in you. Everything becomes what kind of shape of wave you are. And looking in inside, not seeing that what's inside the shape, that's what real mysticism does. It gives you a milieu, uh, a hint uh, through techniques of self-observation. The wave is, begins to be trained to look inside itself, not just this shape, mm -hmm. but what's inside. And it doesn't deny that this shape is an expression of it. I mean, the waves are real. They're not illusion. Yeah. They're, very big problem with Hindu fundamentalism is that it is misinterpreted the word maya, which means illusion. But the illusion is our perception of the phenomenal world. It's The illusion is that we think we're separate from everything as waves. If you look at everything you see, everything, buildings, trees, universe, planets, as waves, other kinds of waves, 
we see it as all separate, all rising and falling and separate and somehow kind of bouncing off each other in a karmic action, action reaction. But really, uh, I mean, that's all happening. I mean, the other extreme is to believe in a nihilistic, mystical sense that, oh, it's all illusion. It's mm. all not real. Well, if I drop a rock on your foot and you start bouncing around, I guess that's you bouncing around in tremendous pain, uh, being unreal. Yeah. If nothing else, it's real to the individual in it. I, uh, the way but that reality is a delusion because mm. there is no individual uh, wave. Gotcha. Well, it, it remind what you're saying reminds me of a biblical line. Sorry, I can't. I can't quote like which one, like where it is. Um, but uh, it's it's that it's one of the well-known biblical lines. You know, it goes. Uh, um, I and the Father are one, but the Father is greater than me. Simply, really, I've always broken that down to be you are the conceived and the conceiver, ultimately. So, like, you are the ocean and the wave. And, and once you hit, once you're going to get to that realization, then I think something, you know, magical kind of happens in one's consciousness where you go, yeah, I'm the wave, but I'm aware of the ocean. I guess you could say, if you put it that way, it's like you you begin to have this sort of duality within yourself where you're aware of the ocean, you know you're a wave, or you're a mist, maybe you're a little bit evolved, like <laughs> now you're a mist, you're not you're not a dense ocean anymore. But still, that's just that's just a perception. Like what you're saying you reminds me of that. Exactly again, because uh it, it, can you quote it again? Because then I'll re I'll I'll respond to what you've just said in all of that. Yeah, it, it goes um and I could I could Google it real quick, but it goes That's okay. Um, no, no, what you said was fine. Yeah, it, it goes um uh I and the father are one, but the father is greater than me. Ah now the the in in meditation one can find how words are are conspiring to keep separation going in the name of God. I am mm. part of God, but God's higher than me. Yeah. Therefore, he is a certain divine totalitarian. He created me. Therefore, he can uncreate me. Mm -hmm. So it, there's a very subtle, you're the serf and he's the master. And that, that starts from the very beginning of the, well, what, what Joaquin di Fiore, a Calabrian mystic who lived up in a cave in Calabria, Italy, a uh, near contemporary St. Malachi of the famous papal prophecies, um, who wrote a remarkable theory. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't get burned for it, but people a century <laughs> later tried to spread it, did get burned uh, and excommunicated. But basically, he, he says that you, all you have to look at is the, the, the construction of the good news in, is in three steps, in the three steps of the Holy Trinity. And that each step is 20 centuries. The first is the Father. I am a jealous God. I, you know, this God we're talking about here, this I am the Lord of hosts and yes. I created you and and. And I think I love my created son and daughter sitting there eating grass stark naked. <laughs> yeah. That I've created these potentials of in my own image of people that I actually want to keep just eating grass and buck naked forever. 
because I don't want them to eat from the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Now, he that, that says a lot of things in between the lines to me, that he's afraid that his creation will compete against him. If he gives them this kind of knowledge, they will have his knowledge. And since he is already trapped in the identity of being a deity versus his creation, which is another wave illusion, that uh, now he's playing politics and getting tactical and strategic with poor Adam and Eve. And, <laughs> and, the, and the, I would say that the friend in this is the devil, the snake. The yeah. snake is wise. It's not surprising that in the East, the snake is sacred as your kundalini power. And what was mm -hmm. happening in buck naked Adam and Eve was, especially Eve, Eve started it first. Feminine intuition. Yes. Uh, which is the pathway to the mystical. Um, you know, loving, seeing, forgiving, compassion. Um, these are these are feminine ideas. Oh, the orgasmic event. Feminine beings have a far superior sexuality. So actually, the first people who, ancient peoples that started wondering about God and the divine were the people who experienced orgasm for the first time while having sex. And since a male orgasm is rather slight, the people who are really experienced this divine something were the people, the women people, the womb men, that's mm -hmm. the men with wombs, that were starting to really go, whoa. Um, and of course, they were suppressed by the men who being basically a meat injector biologically, did not have the capacity that comes with making children is also having multiple orgasms, multiple moments where you are sent into ecstasy. Ecstas in Greek means out, ex exit. And, and, and so uh, the ecstasy is out of yourself, out of your mind in a good way beyond the mind. I mean, Osho used to say that that what is very common, men of with the empty-eyed glow of enlightenment uh, share a similar look to people who they have the men, the 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 womb men, the men and the womb men who have become enlightened have remembered that that's what they've always been, have seen yes. the the way society has taught them to pretend not to be enlightened are when they were conditioned you know education means to draw out but we use the name to brain dirty the mind I, brainwashing is exactly what we need a dirty brain full of all this crap put into it from other people that's called morality and all these things rather than re being respectful and trying to draw out the trust the morality that we are born with. In fact, people, when I say that, they go, how, how can children have morality? Well, how can you see otherwise when from the get-go for thousands of years, you've been taught to borrow this morality of unconscious people in the dark, doing the best they can to sort it all out, create imaginary friends called God or imaginary non-friends called atheism. It's the same thing. Um, is, you know, the reality is beyond both. Yes. And it is far more intimate 
the wave just has to start looking away from the surface of things and look a little in. Then you begin to understand to follow this metaphor, because that's all it is. To follow in this metaphor that, that actually you are the whole ocean. Now, there are a lot of people who stop there and go, hmm, hmm, yes, I think that's true. And then, then they never go deeper. But Or they just take the metaphor literally because they're taking any thought or form literally. But no, this, this requires going beyond talking about it or musing about it. It's about taking a jump into the unknown and the unknown of your own what's inside your wave. And uh, so real mystics teach you that. And I contend that I sat at the feet of a real enlightened mystic uh, Osho, starting in, since 1980. Uh, he's since left the body in 1990. Uh, but the, the, he, Osho kind of means oceanic. I like it. Yeah. It only, it's actually a Zen salutation. It me it's a very heavenly way of saying, sir. Oh, I like it. The, the Zen monks, uh, Zen monks and Zen masters, they would go, Osho, and then ask Osho what what is doing. So when Osho was finishing his discourses before he left his body, in 1989, he was doing nothing but Zen, uh, talking on Zen. He said he would always finish on what he believed, what he felt, not believed, but knew. We might want to believe that he knew or not believe that he knew, but he would say, look, I know this is the closest that anyone's come in words and hence the Zen people and maybe very close second, the tantric masters and mistresses. But um, he often said that the future religion of the world would be more Zen and tantric. Um, it would not be a religion of faith. Faith is faith had its game in the last 20 centuries of the Piscean Age. It was a faith-based paternal with a son that comes as the go-between to save you. I mean, it created two messianic religions from the Judaic religion, which was kind of the mother of the this kind of thinking. Although the Judaic Hosanna has not really appeared. <laughs> One of my Kabbalist friends once said, um, he's saying, you are, uh, you are still waiting for your Antichrist? We have been suffering our Antichrist for 2,000 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's in the Talmud. Extensive talk about Esau. And it's funny how Christian sources, I don't know if it's unconscious or it's an intent, uh, they always point, point to Josephus as being the only person in his huge volume on the life of those times, the first century, only mentions him in one sentence, Jesus. But it's uh, for, for most of my adult life, I didn't know that um, it's all, there's actually a whole lot said in the Talmud documents of the Sanhedrin of that time about him. And of course, I, I can, I can whether it's unconscious of Christianity or not, I can understand why they don't want to promote it because it's all very, very critical. It's, it's actually saying that Jesus was a bastard and he 
and his mother and him had to leave Judea to, for Egypt because, not because King Herod was going after him, but because basically he had he was a, a bastard child. And, uh, and then he grew up in Egypt for a time. He did other things, and then he came back. They called him a magician, a false magician with lots of making miracles and doing like he was a flim-flam artist. That's mm. how they, they talk about him. And um, and it's extensive. <laughs> There's all kinds of material about him, all bad press. But, you know, when I, and I've been talking to theologians and people for a long, long time, and they seem clueless to the fact that unless you go to Jewish scholars, that they had his number, according to their bias, they had his number. And, and so, but the Christian ones are constantly saying this, you know, we do have this one thing Josephus saying, which proves that Jesus existed. Well, no, there's a lot more proof that Jesus existed. Very nice, but. <laughs> oh, gosh. Kind of wow. makes it look like he was a mad magician who was trying to fulfill uh, Daniel's prophecies. He certainly, in his own testaments that's seen through his witnesses, was trying getting on the donkey with the palm fronds. My God, during that period, because a lot of people, there were a number of different claimants to Messiah. Yeah. Some of them are in the historical record, even after Jesus. And and they, you know, I imagine if I lived in that time, and if I was really a very industrious Jew, I have been in many lives, but uh, if I were the kind of Jew I was in past lives, I would I would make sure that I ran a donkey and on palm frond business and just got it all set up with the donkeys and you know anybody coming to claim it okay it's passover i just do it at passover because it's supposed to happen at passover okay here's the palm uh, here here you hear you here's the palm fronts here's the donkeys and our price is better than any other <laughs> you if you're the messiah you get on our donkeys we guarantee that you will fulfill daniel's prophecies <laughs> oh gosh that I could see that now in like ancient Jerusalem, um, Messiah donkey tours. Donkey <laughs> tours. Messiah donkey tours. Messiah donkey tours. <laughs> ah, Nessa. Hey, it's good to see you. How's Nazareth? Uh, we got a great donkey for you. I mean, uh, it even has flies around it all. It's perfect. You look very poor, close to God. It's great. And the palm fronds, they are really great. That's <laughs> Here's what well, your followers here. Okay, here. it's about this much. The Roman denarius. Okay. Oh wow. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> oh, this guy Joseph, this other guy that uh, about 20 years later went and did the same thing. So a lot of that was going on at the time. There was a lot of you know, there was a lot of anticipation of something big about to happen. And of course, that's the other thing um, that. Uh, I want to talk, to be fair, to the, about the Muslim religion and its eschatological uh, um, expectations in a moment. But it's interesting that I'd also like to talk about preternism. Um, it is not well known, but it started actually in the early 1600s. A Jesuit priest wrote, began to write uh, about prophecies in the Bible. By the way, to get back to the Calabrian monk, First 20 years as a father, I'm a jealous God, I'm all in all this, and, and you, you're more feared than loved. Yeah. yeah. 
The second, the second of the Holy Trinity is a 20th century period that we just got out of the Piscean Age, which is the era of the sun. And that was the year of Jesus dominating religious thought, even changing the perceptions of all of the religions in the Piscean Age, which had a little more Christian slant to them, whether they want to admit it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even the antith antithesis to Christianity, atheist movements, are, are trying to deny it. Therefore, they're anti-Christian Christians, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and so... And so then the final era which we're entering is an era that is the era of 20 centuries of the Holy Spirit, which is an era that has some interesting parallels. If you can look at prophetic traditions, not with your Sunday school Christian teaching or your Saturday school Jewish teaching or your Friday school Muslim teaching at, mm -hmm. at prayers, that that if you can just look at it with the innocence and trust of your innocent intelligence that you brought into this world, which meditation awakens, um, the wave becomes aware it's an ocean. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and from the ocean, it is sprout in many ways and waves. So, so all of that happens. And the, uh, the preternists, believe, and I would say they have evidence to prove it, that everything that people, especially now, in many circles in Christianity, and Islam, I will also add, and actually in Judaism as well, uh, but especially burning in Islam and Christianity, and in the next five years, it's going to really come out and be pretty mainstream, because as things start unraveling, as, well, <laughs> as fast as the climate's unraveling, uh, alongside it, uh, a lot of people will look at that not as a problem to solve, not as a sixth mass extinction potential to avert, but actually deep down wish it happened because they're, these three major Western religions have, all three of them have adopted an idea that the earth is, is a passing phenomenon. Of course, they're not wrong, but then everything, including Christianity, Islam, name me all the billions of religions in the last 13.5 billion years that have come and gone in other worlds that no one even remembers. Yeah. This will happen here too. I mean, what what shape of a wave happened 10,000 years ago? Oh, yeah. It's like Eckhart Tolle says, even the sun will die, you know? So, and then yeah. what, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'd love to debate him. Because uh, when I read his first book, Power of Now, mm -hmm. I found the only thing that he wrote that I could say was authentic was the opening introduction, his spiritual crisis. And then when I kept reading, I realized, boy, this guy is, I don't know why he doesn't say it. I certainly quote people that are not my insight. But clearly, the way he is stealing a lot from Osho. Really? A mm. lot. Mm. And not giving any credit that it's not his own experience. Mm. And I'd really like to challenge him about that in a public debate. Wow. As someone who knew Osho. Mm. Yeah, I like it. And, and, and so I always find him, he's, he's safe. He's comfortable, you know. He is, 
he is not dangerous like a real master is. Yeah. And well, not in a bad way, but when you're with somebody who's really got something going on, um, it scares your ego a little bit. Oh, you I know? get it. And yeah. he can be loving, he's just there, but he is also death. I've heard him described, you know, somebody I know once called him uh, uh, the minivan of spirituality. <laughs> That's a good one. He is He's a VW. He's a yeah. VW minivan. Yeah, 1971. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to Milton Berle that. Yeah, it's good. It's true. He's, <laughs> he is. He, he's, he's sort of, he, um, and he kind of revealed himself to me when he said, I probably did way too, because he was a teacher. So he, he, in school in Germany, and he got, he was, he, he admitted he was a very pedantic person. And I would like to remind him that that hasn't changed. Oh, I like it. Uh, uh, go ahead. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned, uh, and I think this is, this is powerful, as, as ages change. So in a sense, um, faith, this, I like what you said. I mean, it's, it's powerful. I, I have to note it. It's that faith had its day in the age of Aquarius. No, and age now, of I'm sorry, Age of Pisces. Yeah, wait, big difference. Sorry about that. No <laughs> uh, so Age of Pisces had its time along with faith. Faith had its time in the Age of Pisces. That, to me, is a powerful thing. And now we're moving out of that, of course, mm -hmm. the, as we move into 2022, you know. Um, and now we're moving into the uh, time of the Holy Spirit, like you were saying. And so, like, what does that look like? Because oh, there's a lot of things I could ask you, but... Um, you know, along with, uh, I just mentioned before we move on, along with uh, Eckhart Tolle being the minivan of spirituality, there's something also you're seeing right now is where uh, young, probably not millennials, probably the generation be following them now, but something we're, I'm seeing a lot of younger uh, people doing right now, it, and millennials, I would say, it's they're all wearing pajamas. Have you noticed that? You, it may not be happening out there in Woodby Island, but here, kind of in the in like the metropolis. Too cold of, up here. It's too cold and wet for pajamas. Unless yeah, it's summertime. Yeah, so here in the metropolis of you know Phoenix, which is pretty darn big place, uh, um, all the youngsters, I'll call them, let's say like uh, under twenty or maybe young twenties, um, are there's this new fashion. They're all wearing pajama bottoms they're all wandering around like for real it's become attire they're wandering around in their pajamas and everything has some kind of metaphor everything has some kind of an ultimate meaning which then filters down here to the physical you know and i'm like what is going on with that there's i'm watching it and i'm just trying to like i, I i'm just meditating on this means something with the younger generation and uh, they just like they're not going to get out of bed anymore. There's some. There's some. There's well, something metaphorical. You're onto something. You're onto something because what it is is, uh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to get out of. I, you know, I go to college. I get in debt to an extent that I'll never pay it off. It doesn't actually give me what uh, it promised. I look at how the boomers have gobbled up all the wealth and spent it and are doing the same thing to the world by using it three times more resources than the earth can actually give. 
and they've done their whole debt fiat thing, throwing it down into bonds and basically making debt the basis of economy rather than growth. Well, well, growth too actually is growth no matter what. Well, that growth is literally uh, what a parasite believes in and eats itself out of house and home by killing the body. Mm -hmm. um, where else will it go? There's nowhere for it to go. So there's a lot of, I mean, in one respect, yeah, the kids don't want to get out of bed because they fall out always on the wrong foot in a world that has already squandered their, put them under debt, squandered their future, ate it, ate their lunch and dinner and breakfast for uh, generations to come. And the other thing is that you, in a world of the Piscean faith that is fading, and having to collide with, I mean, you see the collision already happening in the way people in the name of science from a Piscean Age mindset are turning science, trying to turn science into another religion. Yes. Or oh, our religion of science is not two plus two equals four. I am the science. I, I am the science. Yes, I am the science. He's a Faustist. You know, I call him a Faustist. A Faustism. Mm. You know. Mm. You know. <laughs> Fauci. I know. <laughs> and he's like a pope. He looks. Did you ever see Godfather Three? Oh no. Well, it's it's very interesting because it's based on a lot of true things that happened in 1978 when uh, Sidone and other mafia people were caught using the Vatican Bank to launder four to five hundred million dollars, probably been four or five billion dollars in our money, uh, of laundering through the, the, the Vatican Bank, through Bank Ambrosia. And it also related itself to mafia money and also a neo-fascist group called uh, P2. And there is very strong uh, circumstantial evidence that David Yallop really put together in a in an incredible book called In the Name of God. Mm. This is a must read uh, that uh, shows that John Paul I, the, the one, the Pope Cardinal Luciani, who preceded uh, John Paul II, who has been sanctified and beatified and sanctified, uh, you know, just to be fair to poor Pope Benedict, who did all that to, on this one aside, um, he was the Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict V, the German, he was called Cardinal Panzer in, in Vatican because he was the, the John Paul's Rottweiler. He was mm. the German Rottweiler that took care, he ran the, um, the, uh, what it, what used to be called the Inquisition, it's now got a nice uh, long, turgid, uh, bureaucratic religious term which I, um, I can't quite remember. I always have to look at it and look at it because it's just so bureaucratic. But oh, uh, the justice of the faith and the blah 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 blah. Uh, but it but it means inquisitor, and so uh, it was John Paul II who started this incredible scandal of suppressing all the pedophilia in the priesthood and and his rottweiler dutifully made sure that priests were moved around once they had been exposed for their crimes and then sent them to other parishes and other parts of the world 
never telling the parish what kind of wolf was being brought to them. Mm. John Paul was very much a suppressor of uh, finding out what exactly happened to John Paul I. He promised he would to the Italian police. Of course, they are a country outside of the Vatican. Yeah. Uh, he, they wanted to investigate Cardinal Marcinkus, American Cardinal who was the man running the Bank of Vatican. And he was promised to be delivered for an interview. And then John Paul II said, no. And he stayed there for like many, many years until he finally was too old and they let him retire in America. But it really felt like, a, okay, we're just going to sweep this up under because the the upheaval it would cause in the Catholic Church, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, would would uh, undermine the church. In fact, that was the motivation that uh, we, rather than actually face it, um, the church suppressed it because, uh, and of course, it, you would think they'd learn from 2,000 years of, 1,600 years of Catholic uh, Byzantine, uh, you know, skullduggery, that they would learn that you can't, this is not the medieval times, this is modern times, and it eventually gets out. Oh yeah, and and uh, so Benedict uh, kept it going, and then he he was hooked, found caught holding the bag. But the Saint Paul, John Paul, was the man behind the whole suppression of it. But you know, and there there again to look at why did people wear jammies? Because they don't want they don't want they just want a dream. They don't want to go out into the real world and be challenged. Because in many ways, maybe don't eat, they don't even know it. They just feel it. They're, there is no world for the people, the younger generations. Yeah, that's actually very powerful. I like that they um, they we killed. We it. oftentimes heard that term, you know. Oh, I shouldn't got I shouldn't have gotten out of bed this. Yeah, I shouldn't have gotten out of bed this today. Well, mm. that could actually be. You could also say I shouldn't have gotten out of bed this generation. Yeah, or what's 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 there for me to crawl out of my dreams? Or which are, you know, what am I rolling out of bed to? There's nothing there for me. I can't wear my suit and become a white collared person because it's too expensive and the job isn't there. The the price of things have gotten so inflated with the fiat economy that my generation can't even buy a house. Therefore, I can't have a family other than live in the basement of my boomer parents. And so, and, and I am seeing hopefully a nervous breakthrough because a lot of people are doing the breakdown with this. Oh, yes. Because what's happening is in this struggle between science and faith is definitely being expressed by the overzealous totalitarian ways that very unscientific people in the name of science, including I'm science, Mr. Fauci. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a scientist to say that is not a scientist. A Pope will say that I am the church. Believeth in me, two plus two is five. Well, that's not how science works. Science is about doubt, not faith. And doubt in the true sense of that word. And this, by the way, is what dominates the next 20 centuries. It may take 150 years for the crossover where the Piscean Age is clawing and trying to even pretend like, like well, like um, Ethereum is trying to pretend to be Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But it's still fiat. 
Mm. Your Ethereum, you know where most of your Ethereums are, are being saved for you? Most of the servers are at Amazon. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, but you can't do that with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is math. It doesn't, it two plus two remains four and self-correcting because it just simply follows math. And what it's doing, which is quite remarkable, a truly Aquarian age first step into the big future of the Aquarian age of ether and atmosphere is that it's, it's used, it's actually going to make mathematics a very complex mathematical computation, which can only be done, I think, 21 million times. Yes. Called a Bitcoin. It's not even there. It doesn't, it, it is, it is this bundle of complex mathematics. It takes a whole lot of energy to create. Computers are very hot with it because they're computing, computing, computing. Some unbelievable amount of math because. If you keep your key and if you know your password or, or have it, or if you can also sometimes take Bitcoins offline and put them in yes. some secret server, server situation when the power goes out, um, but they're still there. Even if the power goes out, the internet gets back on, they're on. But they're you on. can also yeah. take them off the internet and store them. That is also possible. And but so it, it is an it's an ethereal gold yeah i thought that it's actually more solid <laughs> gold is hard to carry around and gold can be confiscated and probably will in the coming three years when we go through hyperinflation breakdown it can be confiscated and also the thing about gold is that um we're finding more of it it's not a truly fixed value where bitcoin's 21 million forever it is um, absolutely gold yeah. yeah gold you can they'll find more gold they do every day so it's not exactly it's not ex it is sound money but not as sound as bitcoin and something about bitcoin and moving into this out of the piscean age is, is to me i think and i i don't know how to explain it but i just have this feeling that bitcoin of itself is is a consciousness in that it has every globalist wants it gone. Now they're playing with it, but they don't want it to exist. And I and I, I've been you know involved in crypto for a good couple of years now. And the thing is, if the globalists could have killed it, they would have killed it. They definitely would kill it now if they could, but they can't, and they never could. And it's funny to see them start to play ball with it because yeah. they want to control it, but they can't exactly. Their control is very superficial. Well, not really controlling what Gandhi it. famously said. Mm -hmm. First, first they go with you. Ah, yes, it's just a bunch of zoo animals, you know. And then, and then, uh, then they get afraid of you. Yeah. And then they try to fight with you, and then they try to bargain with you. That's what yes. these people are doing by doing Ethereum and, and China and, and America trying to do digital coins and kicking yes. Bitcoin people out. But um, but this pure, pure limited quality of numbers being traded does two things. It also does something that is absolutely going to deconstruct human civilization and rebuild a new way of relating that has not been seen since people stopped wandering as hunter gatherers and started to civilize and make crops and 
stay in one place in the city and develop. It's literally that big. And it's and it's the simple blockchain person to person transaction. You know, it, it economy in the phenomenal world of waves is often the best thing to look at. For instance, I was saying earlier that you know the Silk Road opened up China to Persia. And even Rome was doing some of that. Marco Polo was not the first person from Italy to be in China. Um, and so you'll notice that the changes are always like when the Black Death killed off a lot of the laborers. Suddenly they had the political power because they were now a limited value. Fewer laborers demanded more money from the lords. And they got it. That was the beginning of Hanseatic Leagues of free cities, commerce, which eventually evolved into the economic systems that discovered how to make wealth out of nothing. Hmm. And in fact, uh, to what does the word capitalism come from? The word is capital, which means head. Hmm. It's all in your head. And if everybody agrees to the game, uh, then it, it, even a fiat capitalist idea usually lasts uh, 50 to 100 years before it finally collapses because to float something with no value which value defines something limited there's nothing limited about printing money to infinity the problem is that it uh it, it just simply can't be done it, it it doesn't work no fiat experiment like the tulip mania in the 1600s where tulips were selling at incredible prices, people were building entire mansions out of it, and then suddenly it all collapsed because it was all, or the dot-com is another version of that, where everybody invested into internet thinking, okay, and then, then it all crashed. But interestingly enough, in all of those steps of economics, the 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 herd tends to go, oh, well, that, I don't want to do that anymore. Dot-com, oh, there's internet has no future as a commerce oriented thing but the people that were part of it learned what didn't work just like science you try um, um edison by the time he had done 1500 attempts to create the light bulb was losing his assistant because the assistant was fed up says it's failure 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 all the time we're never going to do it and then Edison had the absolutely right scientific point of view. He turned that on his ear to his assistant and said, no, you're seeing it upside down. All we've been doing for the last several years is negating that which is, doesn't work. Except yeah. how Buddha became enlightened in, a, in the science of meditation, which is a subjective science. It is not a, about faith. It's a hypothesis. Everything I was saying about shapes of waves and the ocean and that that is most people probably listening to this either fall this, falls into the trap of believing what I'm saying is true because it agrees with their belief systems or not believing what I'm saying is true. And I'm saying any of you out there that are believing me or disbelieving me, you're stuck in the same coin of belief and disbelief, which has two sides. And what I'm talking about in meditation is the person who's been trained unconsciously to hold those that coin of belief, disbelief as the way to 
drudge and suffer through the world because it doesn't work because it's like people with hope and hopelessness sometimes when i get hard about the future people say i want you to give me some hope please give me some hope i said hope is a four-letter word hope is what keeps you from sitting there for 2000 years after Jesus made the mistake of making poor people feel that they were more religious because they were being um you know doo-dooed upon by by rich people and turned into slaves but the whole idea was a revenge thing well you know we're suffering now but according to our prophecies all these rich people are all going to seventh hell and we are going up on the clouds to be singing hallelujah hallelujah uh with jesus forever now, I, I don't really know at least hell sounds a little more interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah people go to hell maybe they'll convince satan that the real way to make god angry is not to kind of fall into is to become lucifer again become light actually welcome the enlightened down there uh change the space make it club med Club meditation, uh, all the Marilyn Monroe's down there, Gina Lilla Bridget, uh, all the all the all the really pretty girls and stuff, and actually make it a wonderful place. That because then what does God have up in heaven? All those people going hallelujah, hallelujah, mm. hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, ever. Oh, I know. What are we well, talking about here? And then the other. People that are there, all the dry bone saints, all the all these poor saints. I mean, there's one joke that Osho used to tell, where a man comes uh, and he sees Marilyn Monroe is making love to his saintly teacher, and uh, and he's saying, "Oh my God, uh, I never thought because it's always in the scriptures how we can't do those things in the Muslim scriptures, in the Christian and the Jewish scriptures. It's always, you know, you can't drink." in the muslim uh world but the but in muslim paradise wine is running freely in the rivers um you know you you have to be celibate monk in hinduism but there's all these upchars that are forever 16 and never quit and and they are there to pleasure you so the person's there saying my god marilyn monroe is making love to my saintly teacher Wow, that's amazing. And then Marilyn Monroe looks over at him and snaps, no, this is my punishment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. That's I'm being punished here. <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. What size? Yeah, it's like, I get it. Well, oh, no, it's so true. Um, it was something that, like, that happened to me when I was in, you know, Sunday school and I was raised like Roman Catholic when I was young. So all that pageantry and such. So in, in Sunday school, it used to always, they would talk about, you know, heaven being this literal place. Like there's this elevator and you go up and then you're there and, and take a bladder. <laughs> yeah. And what got me was I thought to myself, okay, so you're hanging out forever. And I'm thinking, but everybody I know, is miserable like most uh married couples with kids hate each other you know that romance ship sailed long ago they got kids they're they're estranged from I, I don't mean to like i'm not giving churchgoers a hard time per se it's not that it's just that i looked around and went for the most part i'm a young kid but i can look at adults 
and you know teenagers and other young kids like me and i thought in general the world is full of unhappy people and i'm just thinking like so if you go to heaven i'm like well everybody who's an asshole now like oh so you mean they're stuck with their spouse they hate forever what like they're it's like heaven just an extension of misery on earth eternally. <laughs> it just got me. And that was one of my hardships as a, as a youngster, you know, going to Sunday school because they're like, you better believe this or you're going to the pokey, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, but like, what, what's the difference? <laughs> well, I mean, when you're on fire people, and when you're not. <laughs> and how can such, I mean, there, there's something that Frederick Nietzsche said in his Also Sprach Zarathustra, Thus Spake Zarathustra's, mm -hmm. famous mainly in our lives for uh, Richard Strauss doing a tone poem of it with the famous opening, da, da, ba, bum. That is the moment when Zarathustra, this Persian mystic, steps out of his cave where he's been alone for a long time and sees the sun rising and realizes he has to go down and share what has happened to him. Da, 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 down into the lowlands where all the people live. Da, and he goes walking. Da, da, dee, da, bah, that's him going down, going down the mountain. Da, 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 dee, da, bah. you know, 2001 time. That's what it really means in its original tone poem. So, and, and, um, so, where to begin? Um, the there's no there's Nietzsche then taught that there's three steps that a true search begins. And my uh, Osho wrote um, did a commentary on Also Sprach Zarathustra in two big thick volumes. Uh, called Zarathustra, God That Could Laugh, and then Zarathustra, The Dancing God. Mm. Um, and, you know, whole, the whole concept of the master race or is, is a complete perversion of Nietzsche. Nietzsche, by the way, was not a Nazi, even though people call him that. He was not an anti-Semite. Um, that was one of the things that made him break up with Wagner. Although Wagner was not the anti-Semite he's been portrayed as, um, for one thing, it's clear that most of the people who are on, down on his case for over a century have never read Judaism and Music, which was his essay that got him in trouble with Jewish people and, and others. And it's kind of cast a shadow, which fortunately because of his genius as an artist, as a visionary, as in so many other things, no matter what you know, foot and mouth he did with that, he still remains one of the most engaging and popular composers of the 19th century, late German Romantic period. And his, he's still, like Nostradamus, a, a, a living controversy, even though he's been dead for over almost 200 years, and Nostradamus has been dead for 4.6 centuries, but they people are fighting over them like they were still alive. That's very rare in history. Most most people become, unfortunately, even recent history, Martin Luther King has become exactly that, uh, a dead icon that people kind of go, oh. 
about and you know i found out just recently that oliver stone one of the things he wanted to do was do a movie on king mm. and he and it sounded from what i heard him say recently about it, it that he he wanted to do something that i also felt would be the only way to tell the story right because it would bust all of these martin luther king day it's all wonderful he was so you know, we got a Chinese sculptor to make him look Chinese um, in the Washington Mall. <laughs> it's a beautiful sculpture, but he looks like he more, looks more like Mao than Martin Luther. Maybe they can call it Mao Luther King or I don't yeah. Know. Anyway, he he has been made comfort comforting and comfortable to all of us. He's no longer a the thing the the person he really was because literally the movie that Stone wanted to do was a movie that was covering the 365 days he had left to live. And oh, really, wow. His, his greatest rebellion against what was going on when started when he went to the Riverside Church and started hitting Johnson for Vietnam and saying the money that we need to fight this war on poverty will not happen if you squander it fighting people in Southeast Asia. He expanded his rebellion beyond the successes of civil rights and started being critical. He's standing for truth and he really pissed off the, the black civil rights leaders and more importantly, all the liberal wealthy elites that thought he was their nice little black boy and uh, and then he was starting to get a little more like malcolm x yeah uh, he, he wasn't so much like eckhart tolle yeah. and yeah. so and so he was ostracized abandoned he was except for a handful of people he spent mm -hmm. the next year really in the walking the valley of death of what he was before saying things that really needed to be said predicting things that did happen mm. nobody in especially the people who were his followers rather than understanders oh yeah we're just missing the boat with him and he was just starting to get out of that he fought this is when the fbi tried to make him uh, think that why don't you kill yourself you know we got these tapes of you playing in the phone so Loretta King can hear you making love to somebody. I mean, they were trying to destroy him psychologically. And this is the film Oliver Stone wanted to do about those days, because exactly when Mark, when it was coming around for, uh, he was starting to come out with the, the, the Poor People's March and the Poor People's City. I don't think that's the correct name. I'm just saying uh, that was going to be a shantytown on the mall of, of, Washington, D.C., where poor people would live there to make the point in the shadow of great government symbols that poverty, not just the poverty of black people and brown people. I mean, King was would be completely set against this wokeism, this critical race theory, this whole turning racism into a twisting it into another way to be racist with people you see as your oppressors um you know this whole kind of blood libel thing 
It's just, you're going down the same road that the Aryans in Germany went with, and the Catholic dogma for 16 centuries went that made Jews responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. Um, and it, you, when you look at all the, the laws, the ghettos, the, the things that were going on that the Catholic Church committed against Jews, it finally leads, after 16 centuries, to Europe being an absolute breeding ground for Adolf Hitler to commit a Holocaust to the Jews. And it has a lot, you know, there, there's, there's a lot, because this blood libel thing is an illusion. This would be like me saying as a wave, I'm waving here and I'm going, you know what? There were these waves a thousand years ago, and we got to find people that look kind of like those waves because they are all responsible for that bad wave that, that happened. Yeah. They're not. Well, they're different. In fact, in, in the reincarnation of the shapes of waves, a lot of the people that are preaching critical race theory were probably uh, slave owners now in a black body, now being racist in another way. And, you know, and, and, you know, this, so anyway, King said, it's not the color of your skin, but the, I'm paraphrasing, but the uh, virtue of your character Yeah, is for a colorblind, the civil rights to be healthy has to go into going beyond the, the color of my skin. I mean, to give you an example, a lot of you people right now see before you what you believe is a white man, a Caucasian. How can that be? This is white. Hmm. Can you see how subtle it is, how the programming of us can be so subtle that it would literally try to say all these ruddy colors and, and yellows and sallows and pinks and stuff is this color. It is not. And I could do the same if one of my African-American friends were there. I could put up a jet black card and you will see. You will then begin to see the equally unique colors and tones that everybody has. There is no such thing as black people. There is no such thing as white people. This is not white. <laughs> yeah. And, and so meditation opens one's inner eye to that. You, you start seeing that the, the shape of the wave may be black, blackish to you. The shape of the wave may be pinkish to you. But the ocean's the same. And, and consider how completely shallow that is. I mean, one of the reasons why I love having this beard is that I immediately know when I'm meeting people whether they are not even skin deep. They get lost in the beard. Oh, God, the beard. They're not even, I mean, you know, it's not a bear-shaped face. So they can't even be, they're even more shallow than people who just have a problem with the way I look, my skin. They can't mm -hmm. get past even the beard, which is not even, it's outside of my skin. So, um but it's no one's fault. That's the weirdest thing about it. This The whole justice system that we have in the world since the beginning is really a revenge industrial complex. Because first off, it presumes guilt, which means it presumes a morality 
that is only imposed and it changes with each country if if i'm a woman gang raped in saudi arabia not only will my rapists lose their heads but i will be flogged because i tempted them mm -hmm. and that is the programming of the people there if the same person had been snatched from the baby's crib and found themselves in a democracy, they would not have that value. The Saudi Arabian baby would not have been programmed that way. But they may have been programmed in other ways. Uh, Christian Murdy used to call it, uh, every nation is just a, a different form of imprisonment. Imprisonment of the mind and perception. Some of the prisons are more you know, light security. Some of them are more uh, hard, hard time like Saudi Arabia, mm. but they're all prisons. And the person-to-person -person possibilities of transactions, just like transactions 7,000 years ago, made, made people stop hunting, <laughs> hunting water buffalo or hunting uh, mammoths and stuff and started to make business. It also created marriage as a very subtle form of property where love is turned into a contract contract where people are so, so suffering in their marriages i lived in a society for four years that allowed people their freedom to follow their love wherever it took them now it may have like some came in as married couples and their love deepened no one pressured anybody it was it was all about in, in the Oregon commune with Osho in America, where I was a resident, it was about discovering your individual uniqueness. Now, it's also true that we all dragged into that commune from the four corners of the earth because it was a inter completely international community. We drug, drug in the, the luggage of being an American, the luggage of being Japanese, luggage of being Russian, etc., etc. And uh, and of course, in the crucible of this Buddha field around Osho was where in day-to-day -day working, you were constantly getting a chance to see yourself in action in ways that in a world that wants to keep you asleep and good robot, a camel. Nietzsche said that most people live as camels, beasts of burden. They're just hoping for a better future in heaven, afraid they're going to be a dutiful camel to, so they don't have a, a future in hell. They don't know if these things exist because they have blind faith and they just hump along. And what happens to some people is they rebel against this. Somebody asked Osho once, you were rebellious at birth. Does it have to be that you're rebellious at birth before you can really become a spiritual rebel and remember your lost innocence and enlightenment? And he said, no, it doesn't have to be uh, at birth. It's not only at birth. But whenever it happens in your life cycle, there must be a rebellion before it begins. Some of us had, I had it at 21. Some people have it at 71. It, in a way, it doesn't matter. It only matters to the attachment and identity we have with mind and time, which will immediately uh, 
uh, try to excuse, let's not go into the present, which is inside the way. I had a, a reading the other day. I, I do 90-minute online Zoom readings, astrology and, and elsewhere. And if you, I think there will be a link on this page. Yes. Uh, with my website. Go to the front of the website and the top, and you'll see at hogueprophecy.com, you'll see a link. Um, it says uh, Hogue Readings, uh, and there's a little email there. That'll send you to an email thing where you can just put Hogue Readings in the subject line. I'll immediately recognize that it's about a reading, and I'll get in touch with you by email. Uh, I do a lot of things by email, because uh, lower tech stuff, because even my uh, $60 subscription of 12 months for my e-magazine bi-monthly, I actually, I'm about to send the New Year's one by night tomorrow. I, I actually use emails and PDF files attached to them because it is a way, going a little low tech, is actually a way to uh, avoid all the deplatforming and mm -hmm. that's going on, the witch hunting that is going on. Oh, yeah. Um, and... Uh, and it's from my own server, so what can they do? Uh, I almost don't even touch Facebook anymore because because the one thing I'm writing in one of these things is what is so what is so unbelievably weird. It's also very Aquarian age, by the way. How ether can be unconsciously used. We have five people that are tech oligarchs that have decided to take a public commons and privatize it and hide behind the idea, well, it's my private property now, and if I want you to get off my, out of my business, I don't have to serve you. Of course, there's a fine line with that. Mm -hmm. First Amendment says that um, as long as the government isn't aiding you in this, if you truly are a free business, then that's fine. And there's so much, so much evidence, like the Atlantic Council, all the governments of NATO, uh, and former CIA heads and stuff are former people in the government connected to the government are these fact checkers that finally got exposed when somebody from being slandered by them saying your facts aren't true uh, on Facebook, which they've said for years now, we are guys are solid. They got the facts right. Well, now the science court <laughs> under oath, the bully wimp, the wimp behind the bully immediately came out and said, well, actually, no, it's just their opinions. Yeah, exactly. The opinions of CIA heads, Raytheon, Grumman, the NATO, leaders of NATO. It's all daddy warbucks, military industrial complex stuff. And they're the fact checkers. Now, you know, if, if, you, if you actually write about what's actually what the Russians think and not what CNN who never looks into things think they think um, you're going to be bad for the military industrial complex, which needs quagmires and fear and, and the potential of containing people in long multi-decade cold wars to make trillions and trillions of profits from your public fund. The other thing that happens is in the sickness industrial complex, mm -hmm. you will have Pfizer actually slowing down the process of getting vaccines to the world. You will have governments who are lobbied by Pfizer and Moderna 
who will say um, when the Russians offer their very good vaccine, Sputnik V, and they had a billion doses at the beginning of 2021 they were going to give to the United States. And uh, that's not good for business because then everybody will get herd immunity, uh, perhaps, or at least it will help it. Uh, I think the only way you really get herd immunity is probably by just getting it. The old school um, way. Yeah. And, and I think the Omicron is is proving that point because where everybody freaked out in this fear-oriented military, you know, Big Pharma wants you afraid. Big yes. Pharma has been, once they got the vaccines out, Big Pharma was lobbying hard to get boosters. Mm -hmm. So they already know their vaccine only lasts for six months or three months before now. We can prove it. It all goes down. The people that are getting catching this new variant are almost all people who've had the boosters and the shots. Um, I have natural immunity. I got it in back in February of 2020. Didn't know it was COVID. Everybody mm -hmm. town didn't know my little village, but until it had the name and all that, but I got it. And I've never been sick since. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the mask is the mask I wear is more for the fear plague, people freaking out if I walk into a place because I also know scientifically they don't work. Yeah. That's why oh, yeah. before Fauci. <laughs> In fact, yeah. Fauci, Back in January or December, before he started flip-flopping, devastated the whole theory of using the masks. And he said, ah, doesn't it, the, the, the droplets are so small of this virus that uh, it, it won't keep it from getting into you. And anyway, it's going to, if it touches your eye. It's Eyeballs, like, yeah. That's, yeah, no, it's, it's no, like. Nobody, uh, are we all running around with helmets? Yeah. Well, no, uh, because because it busts it it makes it impossible, and then then of course you have Pfizer, which is not, which is uh, holding on to its licenses to make money, and you know Sputnik they've sent it to 60, 60 countries, and they're trying to actually get the developed world vaccinated so that more variants don't show up. But that's bad for business. For Pfizer, it's like no, we want more variants. Hey. We didn't, the military industrial complex has taught the big pharma complex a lot of lessons. One big one is Tora Bora. When you finally at last have a, a, a possible world war on terror, that's like saying war on underwear or something like that. It's just, it's mm. an abstract <laughs> terror war. It's like saying, I'm, I'm going to fight a war on fear. Ooh, war yeah, on oh, I like that. <laughs> and then already within a dozen days after 911 the towers went down because of al qaeda bush is already telling the world uh, president bush that it's going to last at least 30 years how does he know that he's no nostradamus because the plan was already made. not even a not nasty dumbass uh you know it's a it is it is just not wow where do you jump to that that's that, that's like that's self-fulfilling prophecy land. They want a new Cold War because mm -hmm. it made so much money for them. And the biggest mistake they ever made was let peace happen with the Soviet Union in 1990. When the Cold War ended, the military-industrial complex 
was like a drug addict that lost the opium. They were in withdrawals. And in those withdrawals was created by 1992, the neoconservative movement. And uh, its whole agenda was, if one reads it, there, there are different evolutions of stuff since Cheney and Wolfowitz did the first declarations of this new concept of neoconservatism, where they brazenly right out there with oh. Jack Keegan and others say, oh, well, yeah, you know, um, John Quincy Adams might talk about living by example, but we're not going to, you know, basically, like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to basically say, don't do as I do, do mm -hmm. as I say. Well, they wrote Project for New American Century. I mean, yeah. they, they, they documented the plan. Yeah. And so... Pearl Harbor and, moment. Yeah, and, and it and it happens. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Bush said it's going to last 30 years because, well, that was the plan before well, the, 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 the new Pearl Harbor. Yeah, and and Bush was, was briefed on that in September of 1980, a month before he had to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Al Gore in the debates. And when he was asked, he was asked a stage question where he says, do you have a plan for Saddam Hussein? Remember, this is two years away, Saddam Hussein. And, 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 and Bush kind of grinned and he kind of like, oh, yeah, we have a plan. Yeah. And he'd already been taught the plan a month before, and it's to create a Pearl Harbor moment. Now, I want to say about conspiracies that the ultimate conspiracy that really only matters to me is the conspiracy of how everybody's born into this planet to take on an identity that is not their own mm. called ego like i was saying earlier so uh there's a lot of people that attribute a lot more conscious choices and actions to what is going on in the world and then they think themselves into a trap called you know big conspiracy it's it's not that conscious it's more unconscious I mean, uh, it's, it is, I would say that if you're all kind of in an atmosphere in the who's who of the George Bush cabinet, which was the who's who of neocons, mm -hmm. you're already as in cults have a, they're already drinking the Kool-Aid. They don't have to remind each other the dogma. They're seeing the world in their ideology, the way an idiot sees the world, that their group is that each of them are under the illusion of being separate from the whole. And the separation that they want to create, project on the world, is purely a projection, not a reality. That's why ideology is so devastating in our future, whether it's Bolshevik or whether it's neoconservatism. Or it's woke. <laughs> yeah. Endgame. And so... Yeah. I get a feeling that because here's the facts, and I actually showed them in my book, uh, Nostradamus Premonitions of 911, where I take people on a journey that started in 1983 for me that ended up the day before 911, uh, where I was on to the attacks of 911. And not only me, but I also brought in other people that have not even had the fame that I've had, who have in some respects even sought clearer than I did. So I wanted them to have ride on this notoriety and get known um, that there were a lot of us that were warning. I did a national show on Fox Network across the United States in March 1996 
where I basically said the second attack on the two towers after 1993 didn't work would be successful. Um, and I, you know, we had the towers going down in the special effects and all of that. And uh, it never got broadcast again across the nation until it was rebroadcast on FX, affiliate of Fox, mm -hmm. across the country two weeks before 911 happened. Now, wow. Would you imagine that that should have brought a, wow, here's, here's a, like a real, this, these, and not just me, other people in different, there were the woo-woo people like me. There was also the, the CIA people. The, 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 this thing had a lot of different experts in it of different fields. Um, and I'm literally calling to the producer as the towers are on fire in the Fox studios, the same person that I, uh, it was the go-between to get me on some shows where I debated Hannity and Hannity and Combs. And, and like I'm saying, look, we saw this. Uh, the Fox Network saw this coming. A bunch of us in a two-hour or an hour uh, thing across the United States. Uh, we need to bring a follow-up together once things settle down a bit and have these people come back and let us kind of look at what we got right, what we got wrong, and where it may be going from here. She said, it's a great idea. I, you know, it's too big. I, I understand. So she went up to the suits after that. She said, I, I informed people. So that, so I don't know exactly which suits she went to, but probably Roger Ailes and some other people up there. And then I got to experience what Nostradamus experienced when his documented predictions in his own time started frightening people. They didn't talk to me in Fox for two years. No email was answered. No phone call was answered. I finally, the person who was subcontracted to do that show, um, got in touch with me to perhaps do another show with some other affiliate. I mean, that's how it's done in TV. It's most of the people that actually shoot these things are not Fox or CNN or mm -hmm. they're, they're subcontracted. Uh, so, uh, I'm on the phone with him and say, Hey, why, why isn't anybody talking to me at Fox? I used to be their darling for these woo woo things. Now they're not there. You don't know. You don't know what they did to you. Said, no, I am. They're not talking to me. Well, you were blacklisted. Mm -hmm. It went up to the top to the suits and they blacklisted you. They were so scared. That's where I learned that it had been broadcast just before the oh, things happened. Gotcha. Rather than take that up as, wow, it was more like what people did when Nostradamus's already famous prediction about the king potentially dying in a jousting accident, creating the civil wars to come because his children were too young to rule. And it left the kingdom to be run by Catherine de' Medici. And in the Salish law of the French, no woman can rule France. So she had to kind of play queen regent, but she was more like the closest thing to a real queen with a lot of people, a lot of men not liking that than, than anybody. So it was a mess. And, and so when it finally happened, even the person who accidentally killed, mortally wounded the king, when uh, Delorge, the Comte de Montgomery, Norman Huguenot, Protestant, the king was Catholic, um, when he heard about it, he was terrified and he yelled and rather than kind of accept the fact he cursed Nostradamus said, cursed be the divine one who predicted so evilly and so well. And so I had my own Nostradamus experience the very night the king died in agony from his 
infected brain going through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He had a counter contusion. It, it pierced the cage, gilded cage of his of his visor, just like Nostradamus said. But what it did is it. <laughs> I'm seeing everything backwards, so I might be using the wrong hand where you're seeing it. But um, the uh, the jousting stick bounced off his metal guard and and went up through the visor and a big splinter passed uh into this area next to the eye the eye was survived but it cut his optic nerve but the thing that killed him was the impact caused a counter contusion of the brain hitting the back of his head so hard that it festered mm. they found this out and because he was actually being taken care of assisted by by pare and this amazing man who was the father of autopsies from spain with mm. the spanish delegation i can't think of his name at the moment and the two of them wrote down in detail a really good autopsy report of what happened to the king uh the so the day he died 10 days later um a mob of people went to the out, outside of paris to the church justices department of the of the roman inquisition and there they were with torches burning nostradamus and effigy and demanding that the church justices do it in earnest the blaming the man that through prophecy was trying to warn people not to have this happen because he saw it was a key event, like the assassination of Kennedy, a key or nine one one, a, and we're about to enter something like that, maybe in triplicate this year. And so, yeah, as we go into twenty two, like a lot of things we've been talking about, they all relate. Of course, it's like we've been kind of kind of a stream of consciousness. Show yeah, it's here, like we go there. I'm going here. I come back to this. Yeah, it's well, it's 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 all been yeah, it's 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 like a wave on an ocean, waves on the yeah. ocean. Well, it it um everything's kind of like a groundwork, and and like you're saying, so we're going into 2022, and I feel like yeah, as we go into 2022, yeah, uh, there's going to be more marker events, mm. I, I would as as we could call it, mm. and also it does appear like we 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 talked about you know Bitcoin to some extent. And that to me seems like it's going to play a role because we do have, you know, we have failing currencies around the world. And then as that happens, like it's happening over in Turkey right now, um, they're Turkey buying. Yeah. Yeah. Turkey is uh, the, the people in Turkey are buying lots and lots of Bitcoin. They're also buying lots and lots of USDT tether, just dollar, dollar back stable coin. And so, and they're, they've been buying billions I mean, there's a lot of money. I, I was noticed that today. I was looking at the numbers, and I thought, man, this is no joke. As as the what, what do they call it? The lira, I think. There fails. They the are lira. yes, the lira. Yeah, they're and, and looking at the numbers, it's not slight. I mean, there's a lot of well, people buying they, a lot of Bitcoin. Literally, what they've done is uh, this: this Erdogan, who is the president, has no idea of what economics is. He's fired three of his advisors, probably telling him the truth, and he just didn't want to hear it. He's a bit crazy. Um, mm -hmm. And he, uh, yeah, he said you can have a choice. You can either buy the lira or you can invest in dollars. And basically in the process of doing that, because they have to buy things with the lira to get products and things, that basics that they need, food, other things, it's now 
made the lira inflated and worthless. And that's, I mean, a kind of a blunt-ended version of what is going on in there. And so if you want to follow what's going to happen with America and Europe and all the other places, and not so much with Russia and China, uh, because they have been getting, I have been saying this for over a decade, that they are going, they have been pushed, literally accelerating because of the sanctions, these sanctions that America has started putting against Russia and China, China, but starting in 2014, yeah. when, when Obama, President Obama started a cold war uh, with Russia through sanctions. And what it did is it woke Russia up to an adage is if, if uh, that you have to be self-reliant. Their agricultural system was not self-reliant. They made it self-reliant. A lot of money was going into, in a, into American investments and things like that. They had to bring it all back. So uh, investments in Russia's infrastructure, Russia, and this Russia is not the Russia of the Soviet Union. It's one of the most ridiculous things that's projected is that the new Russia is a, is a, um, a Russian democracy in the way Russians do it. And this is the, the way we project our isolationism on the world that we presume to dominate with our thousand bases. It's the only empire in history that li literally goes to other countries and its mind is still back home projecting mm. like it never got left the borders of America. It's unique of empires. Every empire has something really stupid about it. But this is our big stupid, is that we we don't know what the Russians are thinking. This is, you know, the, these, these uh, two draft uh, treaties that the Russians have presented to NATO and America are not things they haven't been saying for 30 years about the broken promises about us encroaching right up against Russia. Oh. I'll say it as simple as I can with the way I flow here and there and everywhere. If you want to understand what the Ukrainian missile crisis, which is one of the three that may happen this year or sometime in the next two years, or the Taiwan missile crisis, or the one that's really the wild card, the Israeli-Iranian missile crisis, which is the one that could is most likely to trigger because it has so much prophetic backing, which seems to say these other two are, are kind of on the edge, but that one has a whole lot of prophetic backing of many traditions, including Nostradamus, which I've been warning about. That the an Arab satrap called a barbari. Uh, which is an anagram in French for uh, d'Arab, of or from the Arab. He's an Arab satrap. Now, he could be, if it's Russia's satraps, his vassals, could be Hezbollah, the Syrian uh, Arab army, uh, mm -hmm. the Syrian sovereign government. The Or it could even be the people that we trained in fact, the man who's running the Pentagon right now is the man who was ahead of that, where he had tens of thousands of resistance fighters against the Assad regime training, and they ended up all going to ISIS. 
Yes. There's a famous moment where he's in front of the Senate committee and the lady senator says, well, Mr. Austin, General Austin, how many of the people remained with us fighting the Syrian army that are ours? She said, well, um, four, Madam Senator. <laughs> four out of 40,000. Yeah. And, and, and he's, now, he's now the Doddhead. He's now running the Pentagon, this twit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it is, um, and then, and then, uh, I mean, to, to explain it simply, that I call these, and I, in my next wave of Hogue Prophecy articles, I have this big and detailed overview article on the Ukrainian situation. Oh, okay, that'd be great. Yeah, and the one of the analogies I use in it is the simple way to understand what has got the Russians. So that's enough. You crossed our lines, and you can talk about your. You have the right to expand NATO all the ways you like. Your democracy can choose. You know, it sounds a little bit like what Khrushchev was trying to tell President Kennedy when we made the mistake back in the Soviet time of placing our missiles ninety miles from the coast of the United States. And we were completely shocked and surprised where it wasn't a warning or a complaint, a warning, and then an ultimatum, like is what's how, how it usually happens in foreign policy. Jack Kennedy went right to ultimatum. If these missiles aren't re taken out of Cuba, we will destroy them. You can, we cannot live with the existential threat of you within five to 10 minutes taking out 35 million Americans with the missiles you have on Cuba. Well, guess what, folks? The entire intention of NATO, NATO. has been to put missiles, nuclear missiles in Ukraine, right, not 90 miles from the border, but right along Russia's longest and most vulnerable border where they can launch and destroy Moscow in five to seven minutes. And basically this is a karmic echo to the Cuban Missile Crisis. We are in a reverse Cuban Missile Crisis. What I use, I call it karmic echoing. It's where, it's like Alice looking through the looking glass. Everything is in a reverse image to what it was before. For instance, um, just to give you a quick analogy of how it works, the tale of two Texan presidents who were given bad intelligence and got themselves in quagmires that took eight years to get out of. One happened in 1964 when the um, Gulf of Tonkin incident was probably just flashing lightning that the destroyer, U.S. destroyers were shooting at and not actually North Vietnamese patrol boats, which Johnson rushed in it with McNair's aid they rushed in, put boots on the ground, and were involved in a major war in Southeast Asia with the United States forces. And then a few weeks later, as Rolling Thunder is bombing Hanoi and doing and bombing North North uh, infrastructure of North Vietnam, uh, McNamara, the Secretary of Defense, had to say, "Well, uh, we might, I think we got it wrong. It wasn't there wasn't actually a an incident in the talk." <laughs> Go. Oh gosh! And and so go go later. 
the Democrat president is replaced by a Republican president. And the Republican president is given intel from Tenet of the CIA that gets backed by a man who really should know better. And it will be a shadow on his wonderful career, Colin Powell. Yeah. He oh, yeah. A little vile thing. Well, you know, this could be out here anytime. And, and, and then even gets to the point where there, there's even uh, Cheney was the vice president was trying, he created the myth that Saddam Hussein was not only stockpiling nuclear weapons to attack America with, but Al Qaeda was being financed in their training camps in northern Iraq. The little problem with that story is that that part of northern Iraq was not being controlled by Saddam Hussein. And I can't help but think of the tragedy of all the documentaries I saw of day-to-day -day life of our, from the jungle quagmire to the desert quagmire, reverse image. You, you're wet and stinky and jungly, and now you're in the sands of the desert. Mm. The, the, the reverse imaging of Alice through the looking glass of the karmic echo. The Republican repeats the mistake of the Democrat. To, mm red and blue so so this um so basically i remember seeing all these people mourning their dead american dead in the quagmire of eight years that went on in iraq and they often would sit there after crying and grieving and say well well saddam hussein did attack the towers in 911 at least my son or my daughter died fighting the man who did that and it was a lie mm -hmm. and it was a myth that still remains to this day and dick cheney is the responsible man for it a neocon one of the first apostles of neoconservatism because they need that big pearl harbor event which 911 gave them so i come back to Tora bora you know, the business model is you want to be in a quagmire as long as possible. And the good news was the military at that time, after just two months after 9-1-1, was cornering, invading Afghanistan. The Taliban were offering to surrender. They were blown away. And they were like, oh, we, we, we want to surrender. And the 300 survivors of his of bin Laden's al-Qaeda best people were hiding in caves in Tora Bora. What is known in ancient times as Khurasan. I'm going to get to the Muslim prophecies about that. The, like, why is al-Qaeda there? Why is ISIS there now? ISIS-K, Khurasan. What's the significance of it? Well, it's prophetic. But nobody in the West wants to talk about it. The, uh, but everybody in, in the Muslim world knows. It's remarkable that we don't want to catch that. Well, if we do, then, then people are going to start comparing their end-time extremism to our own Christian versions of the end-time extremism, or to the similar extremism that's in the very right-wing government that's running Israel right now, which would like to rebuild the temple on the mount even though many rabbis will tell you and many Kabbalist rabbis will tell you are very dead set against that because just like the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the third and final age that Joaquin de Fiore had talked about, also in Jewish mysticism, they understand that the third temple is to be built inside your heart. 
this becomes the inner sanctum, not some pile of stones, re regurgitating this very child abusive way of keeping koahim, the boys who would become priests in the holy temple. They, in the ancient times of the temple of Herod and, and before that, the other temple, they could not touch the earth their entire lives. They lived above the earth in buildings and stuff or on stones. They could not touch the earth because the earth was supposed to be unclean. The ones that could go into the inner sanctum never walked the earth. Now, wow. that's that's child abuse <laughs> made holy. And and so so anyway, the the um so I'll just go to Kurasan right now. Yeah. Oh I would just simply say back to back to uh the the Russians are not doing anything different than in this karmic echo of the Cuban Missile Crisis that um, has not been done uh, by Kennedy against the Russians when Americans had their back pushed to the wall. Because that's literally Putin said this outright. He said, look, where else can we go? You have marched your NATO troops. You've added 14 new people. Their military is gathering with you. You have marched right up to our doorstep, our backyard. We There's nowhere for us to go. Your missiles are right across our border. And what, what would you do if we did that on the border with Mexico to America or Canada to America? What would you do? You do what Kennedy did. And so, and we're telling you that if you don't draw back, and if you, because I can tell you right now, we have hundreds of U.S. advisors for years now training the, uh, the Ukrainian army, piling in billions of dollars of weapons. And uh, I mean, the situation could happen anytime now where quietly, just like the Soviets put them in Cuba, NATO. They're already talking about Stoltenberg of NATO, a real nut job. Uh, fortunately, he may not be head of NATO, and by May, he's retiring. But this man is, um, well, I, I talk in detail of his doublespeak. Is mm. um, he, um, the basically, they've, they're saying that Ukraine is a partner of NATO. And they reserve the right to let them be a full partner. Well, what this partnership actually means is that American advisors, uh, hundreds, I have the pictures of them in my uh, new articles that I'm releasing tomorrow. Hmm. I've been training Ukrainian army to be easily integrated into NATO. Now, the last time that happened, there's a precedent for this. The last time that happened was in August of 2008 when uh, the year before in february of 2007 vladimir putin the president of russia went to the security conference that happens it's kind of a g20 thing and he basically had a speech where he said that's where he started really beginning to say look these are our red lines if you you've marched this thing all the way up to our border 
you're, the Baltic states are now part of it. You've got your maneuvers happening right on our borders now. This is very provocative. We have never done any of this to you. In fact, we have done all the letting go of things. When the Cold War ended, not only did the Russians pledge to allow the Germans to reunite, but uh, when the Warsaw Pact was dissolving, the Soviet forces withdrew 700 miles back into Russia. They pulled up everything. They didn't leave a military presence in Eastern Europe because they did get the promise, which is very easy. I, I documented uh, for two years the Bush administration. Uh, James Baker, the Secretary of State, was constantly talking about, yes, we have made this pledge and we're not a step further east. And uh, so, you know, people can choose to selectively forget what really happened ideologues always do this uh, because it doesn't suit their world illusion now the uh, so what happened in august of 2008 is another several hundred american and israelis as well were modernizing and preparing and laying down infrastructure preliminary infrastructure for georgia which was the other red line in the caucasus mountains to become an interfaced modern NATO army. And the cuckoo that was running that country at the time, Salikashvili, uh, who's uh, really insane, uh, he decided because of the way NATO flip-flops, oh, we're, we got your back. Like, oh, uh, you know, but, but not really. You know, it's like, there's a terrible thing that's been going on of late where people trust the United States, like all the kids in Hong Kong, you, you, you know, put out the American flags, we're behind you. And now they're all in prison. The whole thing was to waste all those kids just to gain brownie points against strategically against Red China, which actually didn't work. People are talking, uh, overloading about an insurrection happening on the 6th of January, a year. Yeah. And, and, but I got to tell you, on the 6th of January this year, there was a real insurrection going on. What a true insurrection is in Kazakhstan, the largest yes. of the Stans in Central Asia, where the plan to build the Beltway and Road uh, is supposed to run through it. And it was classic color, US CIA color revolution. Very much better organized, actually. They armed, they, they armed themselves, they broke into uh, military areas, got themselves armed, they burned down government buildings like they did in Maidan, uh, in Ukraine, and it had all the patterns of a color revolution. But it, it completely was crushed in the last few days. And what did it do strategically for America? It has now unified the commonwealth of all nations that used to be in the Soviet Union. And China is waiting to join the alliance. It is everything we have done since 2014, America has done, has made China and Russia more independent financially from us. I mean, you know, Biden reading his cards is, is uh, warning Putin that, well, you know, if you, they're even openly saying to the Ukrainians, if the Russians invade, we're not going to go to war with them over you, we'll sanction them. Oh, yeah. How are they going to sanction them? Well, they'll cut off 
their nose despite their face by ending Nord Stream 2, which frankly the Russians didn't want to build in the first place. The Germans want, gave them money to build it. The, the, the Russians were saying, we're fed up with this. Um, they can very easily, they're building three pipelines in the next few years. They can very easily take all that gas and give it to Asia at a much better price. So we are, we are not hurting them at all. They want to take us off the, the Russians off the SWIFT system, where it basically can, keeps the head money of the dollar. The Chinese and Russians have seen this coming. They've created their own SWIFT system. You want to ban Amazon cell phones and other cell phones from here? They'll do Huawei, which is a better phone, actually. Um, so in every step that we're making strategically, we are literally, well, I'll show you. I'm going to cut off my own nose. What are you going to do about that, huh? <laughs> and oh, oh, that, this fuel, I'm going to cut off my arm. What are you going to do? You know, I'm, I'm going to decimate my armed forces because they won't take a shot. I'm going to decimate the Navy SEALs, which each guy is like a $20 million investment. Each guy and gal that's in the Navy SEALs, they're experts. If you don't replace them with some conscript the next day, this is, this is very valuable military assets that just because they won't take the jab, you're going to literally knock them down by a third of their number. I mean, who needs China and Russia to attack us? We're destroying our own selves. And this is so classic what happens to an empire that it's on its way out. It happened to Rome. It happened to Spain. It's happening. It happened to the Soviet Union. And now it's happening to us in the next four years. So, and so it, it seems like 2022 is really a, well, I mean, 2021 has been, and so is 2020 and such, but it seems like 2022 you know, showtime. it's showtime. It feels like an acceleration. Like one thing mm. you mentioned is uh, the SWIFT system. And of mm. course that, that is ultimately a, a way of keeping, you know, the, the petrodollar, the U S dollar supremacy. Mm. Um, but that's the thing with sanctions, you know, America has been annoying to the world with its sanctions, especially mm. China and Russia. It's and, yeah. And, and many other countries. And the thing is, is that, uh, let's just call it Aquarian, you know, as we, as we, you know, leave the age of Pisces, the thing is, is that, you know, it's not working. So fine. If you, if, if America wants to sanction the world and including its own citizens and say that, look, every transaction has to be approved by us and we'll decide who can do commerce in this world. Well then in this time, the world just goes, well, F you, yeah. you know, that's one thing, that's one thing about, I mean, I can just refer to it as Bitcoin because that, that covers a lot of stuff. But yeah. ultimately, um, the world does not need or appreciate it, has not appreciated it for some time, our SWIFT system. So that's something I see in 2022 is where you've got El Salvador taking on Bitcoin as a currency, as a currency, not other only, but a currency. You see uh, Turkey, the people in Turkey are just buying up crypto like crazy because their, their currency is collapsing. And I think as we see more countries, their currency collapse, you're seeing that transition. And so I'm, I'm not a fan of the CCP whatsoever, you know, but I don't mind the Chinese people, of course. And I mean, and, and 
and, and you have Russia, of course, fine, and Iran too. You cut them off from the SWIFT system. Well, they don't. The world doesn't need America's bullshit anymore, basically. <laughs> and, this is, and this is the weak problem in the isolationist who goes even to other countries. You know, a, a thousand bases. A, the sun never sets on a U.S. weapon. No, like the sun never set on the British Empire because it actually held properties, but. We, you know, it's simple dictum. China goes to African nation to low interest rates to help bring people up. They do it in Southeast Asia and other places. They help give people a hand to get an infrastructure up. They kind of Marshall plan their whole scene like we did with Europe with the investment in making things better for the people around them. Then they, the commerce can can expand and the beltway can expand what does america do when it goes to africa it builds a military base now the person who builds a hospital that helps heal people over decades and tend to the sick is better than the people who build a missile to destroy that hospital to save it guess who i'm talking about Oh yeah, this this is the perversity, the abject perversity that has overtaken this great nation of the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower was a prophet when he, in his final speech, made America's Americans aware of this military-industrial complex, and his predecessor was the first president to be assassinated for questioning it. Uh, and has been since no other president has dared. Oh, yeah. And so, and, and accidentally, Trump kind of got in trouble with the CIA. Uh, Schumer, who is the head of the Senate, openly said in those early days of the Trump administration, he said to the CNN person, well, when you do, when you insult the CIA, they can come at you any sort of way they want. And now what was the journalist this bubble-headed journalist just kind of went, mm -hmm, and didn't do what a journalist would do said you are the minority leader at the time of the u.s senate and you seem to be speaking from personal experience here are you saying that the american people who vote in you and others, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are no longer controlling this country, that we, the people, is now being run by we, the military-industrial complex and big pharma and all of that, a deep interstate of bureaucrats that are career bureaucrats who just tolerate what the, the unwashed masses vote in, whether they're stupid blue or rabid red. Mm-hmm. That's the question that Mr. Schumer should have been backed up against the wall with. No, he just got, hmm. <laughs> you know, you, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the news industry is absolutely controlled by the military industrial complex and big pharma. And, and that's why a lot of people, a lot of scientists, a lot of qualified scientists, in fact, there are now 60,000 of them that have signed petitions to the, one petition that happened in Massachusetts, another 10,000, another, which I have in articles in my next wave of Hogue Prophecy. The kind of thing that 2022 is about in a good way is people having enough. 
Russia's had enough with us. We started the year with that. They're pushing back. Americans are pushing back on Fauchism, the Fauchistes. Um, he's actually getting now there's been more of the actual emails released. Yes. It's quite a bombshell. This guy, he doesn't even know how to lie well. He's in trouble. And, and he, he yeah, he, he even got a little frazzled where there was an open mic moment either to yet today or yesterday. It hit the media very, very quick where he called somebody a dumbass. I mean, he he, yeah. he was frazzled and didn't yeah. know his mic was on. And so it goes to oh, show. Yeah, now, all that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, now ultimately, you know, he is protected because he is them. So he's just a a, a letterhead, you know, ultimately. But he's probably I see it as, yeah, and it gets me is that now, so as we roll into 2022, that's something I think many people are pondering is that notion of people waking up. Now you mentioned people are pushing back. Is that something that you see in 2022? Um, It appears that people are, I'll call it waking up, but I mean, I, I, I'm really like a, uh, like a metronome. I'm like, ah, we're screwed. Oh, it looks good. Ah, we're screwed. It looks good. It's hard to have faith. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a, a pessimist with a bit of faith. Well, here's the thing. Pessimism is the other side of the coin called faith. Mm. Pessimism is faithlessness. Mm. And like I was saying an hour or so ago, that the Piscean Age, which was built on borrowed faith, yeah, that is dying in the 2020s and 2030s. So the process of the death process is like the Kubler-Ross process is already on. First, people thought, eh, you know, that's not really what's going on. And then they got freaked out. Oh, my God, you know, my faith is dying. And then they're going to try to fight it, and then they're going to try to bargain with it. And it will eventually come in the next four or five years, a kind of acceptance that uh, I don't know. At the same time, there's another thing that's quite challenging is that the, the, we go back to the people in the jammies yeah the only people they may be wearing jammies but frankly if jammies are kind of what you wear when you just don't go to work and you're kind of out to lunch and you just stay in your bed and wait for whatever happens like millions of people who stopped working yes um the, what's What's high? There's this big, massive thing that's facing us. It is the biggest challenge in the existence of the species of four million years that finally reached to this point of Homo sapiens sapiens that have the potential for sentience um, and to be vehicles. Well, uh, to to be aware that they are all Buddhists mm-hmm. and. The first step is to be aware of to what level you're pretending not to be one and how that happened. Because you are the Buddha, and only when you become aware of the pretensing, that's when the Buddha starts awakening, by witnessing it. A simple act of, actless act of just witnessing your mind, your emotions, your feelings, the world around you, is what I, in these in these readings, I often am helping people, giving them tools to to the meditations that I've learned from Osho, who 
modernized meditation so that it would be uh, accessible to the modern humanity in a mind-amplified civilization that never existed in Buddhist time. It was an agrarian, not much mm -hmm. was going on. Yeah, you could watch your breath and do nothing and get enlightened. But, you know, most people start with Vipassana meditation, and, and that's impossible. I, I get you to dance. I get you to jiggle. I get you to scream, you know, if you're angry or, or go into the fear and, and just see that and just kind of do the things like let all your fears be there to watch. And you'll find soon they're really very ephemeral. It's like mm -hmm. one, uh, Ambres, who is a channel by Sturio Johansson, one of the few people that I would say is really channeling somebody rather than their subconscious. And Andres once said that, you know, you, what you think is a big chain and a heavy ball, if you shine a light on it, it's a little string with a floating balloon. Mm. And now it's very true. Mm. It's identity that actually causes all the pain and suffering. It is really the root of it. It is being, I, it is not, it's being identified with the past. And, and, of course, all your identities come from the past. Whatever you're carrying into the present, your name, your background, your traumas, your blissful moments, all that is all from the past. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. All right. It just is. It's suchness. Mm -hmm. And, and meditation is really about seeing the suchness of things, not trying to be a one or a zero, you know, a, the suchness of things. And in yeah. the seeing of things and the suchness of them, well, for instance, if you have a fear and, and it comes up, you don't say it's my fear because that's another programming. And one of the meditations I teach is that Osho taught and I share with people is uh, this idea that well, every time you catch yourself saying my mind, my feelings, my needs, just say the need. Mm. There's anger around. There's fear around not I'm afraid there are so many ways that if you look at the language that we've been taught it's how we've been enslaved by identity the possessing of things that aren't really us this mind comes and goes this body comes and goes the ocean if to keep with the metaphor that's still that's always present eternal in this present moment the whatever it wants to play and create and discreate and all of that, that we're all playing a part of uh, parts of us as waves, but in the center of the same ocean, all the same salty Buddha's the one who said uh, the, the sea is tastes equally salty in all oceans. Hmm. And, and so, you know, when, when, when you, Another mystic, Ramis Balashkar, I was reading something of him earlier today. He, he made a statement that was very beautiful from my own experience as a meditator. He said, um, if you just stop and be and watch what's happening without going anywhere or expecting anything or have, striving to do anything, just suchness of what's going on, whether it's happiness or sadness or this or that, the watcher of it is not any of these things. And he said, actually, rather than, rather than you finding enlightenment, enlightenment comes running after you. I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it was a nice metaphor. Of course, no metaphor 
the, the smaller thing cannot express the whole. But in, in, in the meditation science of subjective, who is the subject, the scientist? Who is the watcher? It is pure science. It has the hypothesis that you are an eternal being that you and and that uh, you're not just having a brain chemistry illusion that you are one now it may be proven wrong science does not start with a pre front-loaded burden of prejudice for or against it, science is not cynicism and people and cynics who think when they talk about being skeptic they are abusing that beautiful word which never in its original meaning front-loaded it with negative or positive belief it means simply to investigate and that with and what is not stated is is it that doesn't state front-loading you've uh, you've added that dirt to the word um i am a bit skeptical about what you're saying no no when I'm in a position that a lot of people that are watching this now are in, where they're going, well, what's this guy saying? I'm a bit skeptical about what he's saying. I'm saying, no, no, let's get honest. Let's get true to it. You are not a skeptic. You never have been. You would say what I would say rather than skepticism. I immediately, when I hear you say these things, I immediately feel like responding with cynicism. That I just go, no, that's BS. And maybe I will watch myself now carefully to see if I only let in things in my search that proves my point before I even searched that it is BS. This is what mo most everyone does in the name of skepticism and inquiry. I mean, even some people I know, friends of mine who are in a spiritual self-inquiry, I immediately say, and they're trying to find their inner guru the first thing that pops up spontaneously from the child inside of me, the eternal child wisdom, is why does it have to be a guru? Mm. Why, why are you already starting with, what, do you want to be a guru? Osho never wanted to be a guru. It happened. He didn't, he wasn't even, he was just trying to find truth. And, and it just so happened that he ended up having a million people engaged with him. But it was never his plan. He never was trying, oh, maybe if I do all this right, maybe I'll have a million people. Mm. I'll be teaching. Them. I'll find my inner guru. He never said that. But I have sannyasin friends who are now seeking their inner guru. And I have to say, my friend, don't, don't, don't you see that this is already illuminating that what you that your ego wants to be a guru oh yeah big time and then oh. and so you know it's it's uh and and that which is watching it now that that's been shown is not the inner guru it's something deeper that's watching that and that's oh. the right that's the right place to relax into let the guru come up and let him and then when you see it this is the thing that krishnamurti once said it's a very beautiful analogy where like for instance my friend who wants to be doesn't understand he really wants to be a guru because he's seeking an inquiry which means he's the the person seeking the inquiry has already separated himself from the answer that he's yes 
So now there's duality in a religious context. It's no different than all the other mind frigging that goes on in the name of other things. And it's an honest mistake that a lot of meditators make where they, you know, I got this dichotomy going on, which is now already lost, not witnessing anymore. We've got a goal. We're going to now inquire and we're going to be connecting to our inner guru, which means I want to be a teacher of people. I haven't even gotten there yet. I don't even know what the truth is, but I'm going to be a guru. How can the blind lead us, the blind, to becoming gurus this way? If it's a happening, gurus don't, it's not a school of gurudom unless it's false. Uh, it's, it ha it's a happening that whatever happens when you're in this space of suchness, just being here now, whatever comes, when there's it comes from a source that is no guru it's nothing there's nothing happening i mean look how i've talked all here and there i i had no idea i'd be talking like this i still don't have any idea what i'm going to say next but well, i'm watching this person yeah it's flooding on you here and there all over the place and that's the way it's coming out this time it's not it's not even important the words what i'm saying is often happens is it's don't listen to whatever i'm saying listen to what's in between the words mm -hmm. the presence that's coming out of me at you in this i notice that people are starting to see that that's 2022 for me you know it, uh, it's been happening you know and, and me being the interviewer i'm always going to sort of like that that that's my suchness i just keep guiding you know, <laughs> towards a specific, you know, purpose. And uh, like guiding the ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it, yeah, yeah. It'd be much easier, actually. <laughs> and um, so the in 2022, something that I am seeing what you're saying, it's all relevant because it's important to this time because I'm finding that I don't want to say everyone. I'll use the word everyone. Let me just say a lot of people, maybe everyone many that I see are at their edge of exactly that. They're, they need to be in that center that is not the center. You know, they need to be there and start coming from that place and they want to and they're feeling it. There's, there's an awakening happening. And one of the things that I'm seeing is there's so many people right now and uh, I'm witnessing this, I'm seeing them. I mean, it's the same thing for me. They're on the edge of what they can deal with. Like for instance, um, the I I could give I could give examples, but that's kind of good enough. Like right there. Yeah. So for instance, there there are many people who, let's just say you, you mentioned the idea of prepping, right? The idea of well, you know, um, have some extra water, food, things like that. An earthquake kit, if you want to call it that. People will say, nah, I'm not going there. Because they can't, they're going to, they're going to recoil. They go, I can't deal with reality. Mm -hmm. You know, like one day the internet being there, the internet not being there. I, I can't deal with that. So we're living in this shaky world of extreme changing of an age. You know, 2022 is going to be rocking. If you like 2020 and 2021, 2022 is going to be even better. And I'm witnessing people just on the edge of what they literally emotionally, intellectually spiritually can handle 
it's like they're being forced. There's this pressure, you know, and I, I see it from, you know, I, you could say, uh, you know, like we, we, we talked about the, uh, uh, you know, religion for a bit. I, I know a lot of churchgoers who are churchgoers. They've been happy. It's kind of been working for them. And now they're disintegrating. You know, and then I see people who are looking at, they're, they're saying, do you really mean that there's like this deep state thing and it wants to uh, implement these Georgia Guidestones you're talking about and get rid of a lot of us because we're basically just herd animals to them? That's too big for me. I can't deal with that. I'm out of here. Or they, they say, wait a second. Um, I can't deal with a, let's say the idea of a vaccine as we call it the jab. They go, um, I can't deal with that being what it very well may be that my instinct, intuition, intelligence tells me that is, even though everything is screaming at me, no, I'm going to go do a ritual of compliance. I can't take it. I'm out. I, I, I ha you know, so people are at this like make or break point. They're, they're, they're ritualizing going with the flow, the wrong flow, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of hard to articulate. Yeah, but no, no, I, I'm, I'm seeing it. And and, it's, and there's an intensity, let's say, ever since 2020 yeah. that has just been getting to the point of in, people are losing it. And you can see people who are losing it if you just look around. And in a way, it's difficult. But you also go, yeah, you're starting to get somewhere. Yeah, I like I like that progress. Well, the, you know, it's a death process. Mm hmm. A death to a to legacies and ways in which the human race has lived on this planet. I'll give you an example: poor NATO. They're mm -hmm. like sun mullets about what Russia has demanded. They've even had to accept the treaty drafts to look at them rather than tear them up in front of the Russians' face, they, against their will, even because, frankly, NATO is brain dead for decades, and it it. It should have dissolved when the Warsaw Pact dissolved because that's what it was built to fight against. And it has been in it, like our world, all these, it has, it's a metaphor for a lot of what's going on in the world. The systems that we've been taught to follow blindly to, uh, to maintain ourselves, uh, these systems are dying and they need to be redefined and recreated. And it's and so it is very much people have actually been feeling this in the latter half of the last decade, and it's only exponentially grown with each new year into this roaring 2020s as I've foreseen it for 40 years. And it mm. went off like a bang, right? Right at 2020. And now now it will now we're really entering the new level of intensity of where you in a way, it's a it's a blessing. It's a hard blessing for people who, well, you know, there's a common thread in a lot of prophecy, where and especially in the native prophecies, which are not so burdened with the with uh, politics. I mean, there's nothing more political than the traditions of the Western Islamic, Christian, and Judaic prophecies. They are politically motivated. They have been since their beginnings. And this is unique because most other prophecy traditions are not like that, like the native peoples. And basically, I'll just take up the Hopi prophecies because, um, you know, they saw this coming as the great purification by fire.
and they have seen it as an ecological and potentially a thermal nuclear problem. It is certainly a warming of the world. I mean, even the places that are getting cold are the chills of the fever of this. I've just looked at information that's showing that the oceans have exponentially broke their, all their records of warming in the last few years. And that's where most of this heat is being contained, which by the way, uh, even if, even if we magically could transform Greta Thunberg into the good fairy of, of, of Greendom, where she could magically wave her wand as she's going blah, 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 um, at, at fossil fuels and turn them like mice into horses of Cinderella's pumpkin uh, into, a, into a carriage into a green industry that actually works, not the one that they're actually promoting, and cutting 30% by 2030, the, the goal is to, is to cut 30% of the fossil fuel use that they need to actually create this uh, infrastructure. Um, and if, we, if they're successful, the, the society could collapse just because, for instance, I wanna warn you all, uh, enjoy, you're about to all suffer a, a diet of uh, not a food shortage, but of food being too expensive. Mm -hmm. Because uh, one of the things that countries are doing by going off a line with fossil fuels to make that Paris Accord quota, which, by the way, is not enough. It needs to be 80%. But we're never, not going to get to what Extinction Rebellion wants on one extreme or what... Um, the greenies, the tree-hugging Paris Accord people want to do by appeasing global warming rather than looking at it. Um, we are going to have to build this with our... We are a fossil fuel civilization. We have created it and a nuclear-powered civilization. We have created it. It's taken us 200 years, and it'll probably take us... Here's facts, folks. It'll probably take us 200 or 100 years to get off of it. And we will need to actually produce more fossil fuels to create the grids that can do what fossil fuels can do, not transitory wind power. By the way, global warming is taking the average wind speeds of normal weather down. That's why a lot of the windmills are not producing enough to keep things going in Germany, where they cut off all the nuclear power. Mm. Now, the first very radical thing is going to freak a lot of people in the green for me to say it, but it will, I mark my words in about five years, you will have to do this. You know, for one thing, don't take fossil. You've got to learn to what extent fossil fuels is. If you magically took fossil fuels away, you'd all be naked. You would not have any enough fertilizer to actually feed yourselves. And so this whole idiotic Greta Thunberg thing and she's become the poster girl for everything the shaming and condemning people this kind of blind if you say coal no don't say coal don't say coal mm -mm -mm, I don't want to hear anybody say coal that you could use coal for clean or oh we're going to clean fossil fuel sequestering oh, no 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 it's evil that's, we just look in binary ways at things. An idiot always looks, it's either a one or a zero. It doesn't really look at the whole rainbow of the picture. 
Um, we have already, if we took fossil fuels and Greta could just make it go bing away, we have already baked into the oceans a sea rise of 130 feet in the next 200 years. So this, this thing is going to take us a thousand years to rebalance. Not, not a few decades. And if people think that any of the things currently being considered, like limited resources of rare earth or lithium, is going to battery power the world that you have now, this is illusion. It won't. We're going to have to, the first thing we need to do is pressure the fossil fuel industries to actually look, not just talk about it, but make it binding to their future existence. If they actually do something about seeing whether sequestering of liquid CO2 is possible. There is only one refinery on the planet Earth right now that's actually looking at it. It's up in a fjord in Norway, in Fenmark, mm. or up in the high north, far removed. They're the only people that have been actually trying to see if there's a possibility that we could take this legacy of 500 more years of energy and actually reduce in its use it being released into the ocean as CO2 blocking heat in the ocean or that we can all the places we've emptied of oil we could put the liquid version of CO2 back in those places that are making Oklahoma shake and other places shake because of fracking we literally could put it back as a new form thank you earth for doing this and do it in a way that we are not releasing it in the sky creating a greenhouse effect that traps 400,000 Hiroshima bomb blasts every year in the ocean. About hmm. five or six a second. Boom, 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 boom. Every second. And, and so we have to understand that our, our civilization now has to adapt and, and it will be a thousand years of work. We will have to learn how to invent parts that can be removable like mulberries on Normandy Beach, where when the ocean rises, they can lift themselves and keep functioning. We have to redefine the whole concept of ports. They're not going to be static things of what we've known of oceans being a certain height since 10,000 BC to 7,000 BC. That's gone, folks. There's going to be a hundred generations of your children and grandchildren that will have to adapt themselves to preserve humanity uh, and our civilization for the next thousand years as the earth, because of what we've done, is by terraforming unconsciously this planet, we have to start terraforming it consciously. Now, um, it would be better, but the one thing you've got to find is any system that you're looking at, that is not a constant power. You have to find something that does exactly what fossil fuel does. And you will always need it because you will need it. What do you think the plastic in your cell phone is? You know, it, you would have no cell phones, no computers, no power poles, no lines. All of that has a component of fossil fuels, including the fertilizer that is in such short supply this year that you're going to see food prices that 
are going to put all of us on a diet. Uh, from that alone, because of thinking that is ideologically Aspergered into reality uh, in our place, and you know, I think the current people that are calling themselves the leaders of this movement are are their destroyers. Because what will happen is, after two years of this and all the stuff is disrupting without explaining and not bringing in coal bringing in nuclear power because i can tell you in hope prophecy i'm constantly reporting all these very interesting things that are going on with technology that would actually end nuclear meltdowns mm. that uh that we've had a technology since 1982 it's called thorium rock salt reactors they're simple they're small they can be mass produced they never have a meltdown and you can't make nuclear weapons out of them because it's rock salt. There's a lot more of that that can be liquefied. And only, it's only radioactive when it's warm. If it cools down, the radiation phenomenon ends. Wow. Okay. That's cool. The Chinese are building already. Again, this is China's century. They're acting like we were 100 years ago where we were just ahead of the curve doing stuff. It's, just, it's not personal. It's the cycle of empires. They they were they're 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 in the driver's seat that we were in in the turn of the last century. Where can do? Let's try what we're going to do. Oh, that's there. Let's build a tunnel through it. Oh, we got to make an international highway for everything. We'll do it. We're going to make horseless carriages. We're doing it. Oh, like they're discovering now in China. Because frankly, guess who makes the most green industries in the world? China. Wow. Because they're already living in the stink and the funk and the pollution of all the coal they use to get this wealthy. The pollution in Beijing is unbelievable. When you see how foggy it is, that's not fog, it's smog. Mm. I had some friends who were teaching, so trying, trying to help Chinese not to learn Chinglish. Um, and they were some sannyasin disciples of Osho. A lot of them go to China to teach English. And one day it was their day off and they were gonna go out. Uh, and it was like in the South part of China and they were going out and they were thinking, oh, we can't go walking up the mountains. It looks like, look at all this gray clouds. It looks like it's going to rain up there. The Chinese guy laughed and said, oh, no, that's not rain. That's smog. But it looked like clouds. It was like a storm. And it was smog. So they are living in our hell of that already. That's why they're trying to retool all their nuclear reactors to thorium and other systems. There's even another system which actually Teller and some of the nuclear war guys were trying breeder reactors that the breeder reactor technology is evolving into something now where we could actually, to trigger the thorium reaction, actually feed spent uranium and plutonium into it, nullifying it. So, I mean, there, there are situations right now that we could do where uh, I've, I'm going to be talking about it in my ecology, well, climate, climate crisis book, which I'm working on a lot of these inventions. But you can see it hope prophecy all the time. Every two months, I've got something to talk about that's not being talked about, which is resourced. It's, it's for real. And it is, um, and it is a amazing. Um, there are all kinds of technologies that we need to bring the intelligence of 
the world together, not ideologically separate ourselves from those who think in fossil fuels, but to bring them in into this recreation. This takes a skill of negotiating and talking and sharing and respecting each other, not calling people deplorables if they're fossil fuel addicts or people who are righteous if they're Greta Thunberg addicts. And I mean, just trying to imagine this other world while she's flying around and spewing mm -hmm. a lot of carbon footprints whenever she's going anywhere. Absolutely. Um, you can't, you, you cannot divide the human race and see it stand and survive the next 20 years. Now, another thing, probably because I don't know what time it is, but um, must be close to two hours, if not beyond. Two hours and 35 minutes. Oh, my God. We've just, we could have been sitting, watching Wagner's Das Wrangled. <laughs> <laughs> this is, okay, this is the part where the Rainbow Bridge is going to Valhalla, folks, <laughs> at the final scene. Um, after Donner has hit the skies and lit a lightning bolt and the, the thunderstorm cleared and fro the god of rainbows creates with seven harps playing this beautiful rainbow bridge music mm. anyway so cue the rainbow bridge um here's the rainbow bridge to our future it is um I am reminded from what you said, and, and yes, it's true. People are at a point, a breaking point, breakdown point, and also breakthrough. Yes. Um, this is the kind of thing that happened in the last fourth turning, but not at this level of planetary intensity. But it did happen during the last fourth turning in the 30s and 40s, where the planetary disaster was economic depression, which triggered World War II and the danger of the rise of fascism taking over totalitarianly the world. And now this is planetary. And it has a fascist element in it, a totalitarian element in it, because being that we're living in perpetual emergency times, and this time they really are, you know, once we've got to watch that the people that have been exploiting and having power over us by trying to not very well take care of the COVID emergency. Now that that's fading in this year, COVID's dead by the end of this year. Then they're going to try to find something else. Now, global warming is probably going to be what it is. But Climate, a really yeah. Version of it, which is a shame because it is, it is the defining challenge of every human being's life. Global warming is real. It's, it's, a, it's a expressed through the sixth mass extinction that we're undergoing. And we, as the one of the alpha species, are the most vulnerable. Hmm. Certainly, our ability to keep a cogent civilization is on the line. And so, what's coming is that people um, I'm reminded of what Gurdjieff was told. What people would say at the end of his life, he was a great 20th century mystic from the Russian imperial times, the final days of it who tried to create the harmonious development of man. He's a man of awareness, a, a very, uh, in a way, he's the complementary opposite to my own teacher. You know, my teacher is about let go. Gurdjieff was about the work. They're both beautiful. Osho let the gates wide open to everybody. Gurdjieff only let a handful of people work with him that he thought he could do something for so this is the way they were so opposite, but they, in a complementary way. 
And so what then happened is that at the end of his life, I mean, he had tried to create his ashram several places. World War I stopped it, and then the Russian Revolution stopped it, and he managed to get out of Russia during the Russian Civil War and get his disciples through the Red Guards and the White Russian Armies into Georgia. They actually started setting it up in Tbilisi, the capital of Georgia, and then the Red Army came to reclaim that province back to the Soviet Union. They were all scattered everywhere through Istanbul. They all regathered south of Paris and created Avant in Avant their, their commune for a few years where he was able to teach the dances he had learned. Any of you have seen Meetings with Remarkable Men. That's a fictional version of George Gurdjieff and his dances, his mm -hmm. mythical dances. He started establishing Gurdjieff groups around the world, especially in America. And... And all that happened, and then he had an auto accident because he was working so hard that his body blacked out while he was watching, you know, and, and, and he ended up waking up uh, with his body all mess uh, in a crash in a tree. It's in the Model T that it was in back in the early 20s, 1920s. And somehow he managed to open up the trunk, lay out a pillow and a blanket, and lay himself there on the ground. He had no memory of doing that. But he did it somehow. And but it ended his ability to be the one man dynamo creating the, the material question, as you would call it, to finance. So his people didn't have to worry about that. And they could just learn from him. So he had to dial back a lot of his work and work mostly on it. If he couldn't teach it to a lot of people, he needed to put it in books so there'd be people who could teach it beyond him. And just when that was all going, World War II happened. And the Nazis occupied Paris, where he was living near the Arc de Triomphe. And, and so after that all happened, uh, at the end of his life, when he's in his mid-80s, uh, some of his disciples were saying, Monsieur Gurdjieff, it's just, it's like every step you took, the, the, the whirlwind of history just blew it down. And, uh, and yet you don't seem to be sad. And he says, that is because you know not know. You do not understand my work. I need these times. I need them. I need uh, these times where only these times where all the things you're taught that keep you asleep in good times, all the, the sleepwalking that you do, following your gods, following your fearless leaders, never questioning what happens. In times where the fearless leaders are no longer fearless, in times where the religions are not being able to BS your way through the things that are just too shocking and too much change. And then it's only in these times when birth happens, and birth is a travail. Ask any mother. But the goal, in the middle of the pain, there's something beautiful. Life is to be built. And in the same way, the fourth turning and the last, but especially this one. Because if we don't get through this one, this will be the last fourth turning of the human race. Um, this, so because it's got that much on at stake, this is where this is the kind of thing that it will make even the dumbest people say that something's wrong and we can't keep doing what we're doing or we're going to die. And enough people will see that. 
enough people who would just pass through their lives just doing the usual thing they're doing, but they had the potential to go deeper into the mystery of the present where they could become truly human beings without quotation marks, as Gurdjieff used to say. Not mm. Swamis, but Buddhas. That can only happen when your dreams your, are seen for what they are by reality, illusions. That you can only, when you face insecurity with an inward understanding, it, you then become someone who is in security. When you realize that your transformation more than anything, including even if the world destroys itself, is not as important as your transformation, because that's the only place you can transform. Look at history. History proves me right. If you go collectively to change people, you will change things, but not you, you will have react illusions, not revolution. Revolution hasn't happened yet because revolution can only happen the revolution of the Buddhas, the revolution of the Christ conscious, and that seed is in you. It's only there. And because it's there, because it's your very nature, it's not far away. You've just been trained to project out your whole life into the periphery of the world. And there's nothing wrong with the world and having part of you doing that. But if no one is witnessing it inside you, if you're not even aware that there's an eternal consciousness that's witnessing all of this, that becomes a perfect mirror of it. And eventually, when all things witness fall on their own accords, you don't even make them fall. They fall. Then it reflects its own emptiness. And it is not a bad experience. It is an experience where you reach the absolute place of no thingness. And it's from there that everything is created. On its own. This is not a goal. Mind lives in its phenomenal control of human beings by making even spiritual things a goal. Like a lot of you are thinking right now, well, if then I go and meditate and do all these things, I'm doing it to save the world. Forget it. Let the world die. The world will not survive. Whether it survives or not is not important. It's the wrong, wrong perception. It all depends on something that you can easily do. And that is be an individually unique aloneness. Like all the other individually unique alonenesses. Your silent explosion is all that's needed. And then you'll understand that it doesn't matter if the world is destroyed or not. My God, it's a huge universe. Imagine cosmically how many worlds right now are being Horton hears a hooing, destroyed and grown. And the only thing that keeps them all freaking out about their loss is their identities with things that they are not. Mm -hmm. So. So the strange thing is that the more dangerous things become, the more crazy things will become. You will seek something that is sane, and it's right inside here. What Osho called it is the Noah's Ark of Consciousness. Mm. There's no Noah to save us from this planetary chaos. But like Nietzsche said, 
only out of chaos are dancing happy stars born. Star mm. of light. So this chaos is necessary. The travail of the womb called earth is necessary. And whether the child is born, stillborn or not, this process is, is being handed to all of you to be a candle that finally seeks not to live with other candles seeking and gaining things, but to light your wick. I was living with a man whose wick was lit. A master, a true master, is really doing nothing. He's a context. His nothingness reminds us that we too are candles just like him, just as ordinary. The most ordinary thing there is in existence is enlightenment. That's mm. no one ever goes in to find it because it doesn't give your ego any boost. Uh, one, one Tibetan Roshi, uh, one Tibetan uh, Lama once said, enlightenment is the greatest disappointment. Yeah. There's no point in it. There's no goal because you are it. And, uh, you know, some people may then take that idea and, and pretend to be Buddhas while they're Buddhas. Most people will, you know, the Buddha that's pretending to be a Buddha, that's not right. A lot of people, my, you know, people who are trying to find the inner guru or Buddhas pretending to be, but you're already the Buddha, so what do you need to find? The dog is attached to the tail that you spin yeah. around every life trying to bite the Buddha tail. When you understand this, it changes everything. It's like when the dog understands because his consciousness expands to see himself hilariously chasing his own tail and think he's chasing enlightenment. Then, then you know, he is a... Uh, he, the dog, has, as much as a dog can laugh, and science says that when a dog is playing, going, <laughs> that's a dog laugh. Oh, wow. Okay. And so he'll have a, <laughs> he'll realize, wagging his tail, as he's forgotten all about now, that he's been chasing himself. Yeah. And so, and so if enough people, now, now this is outside of, if you make what I'm about to say a, a goal, then you'll turn this into a mind F-U-C-K. Because, um, because you'll then you'll then make it a goal. There's no goal enlightenment. There's no where to go. There's nothing to change. The changeability is on its own. It's part of the peripheral expression of things. However, if more people become conscious on the world, um, how can that not be of some help? How could that, if more candles start lighting themselves, getting too close to masters, isn't that going to make the whole world of candles, candle, not candles, candles? Uh, <laughs> it's going to, I haven't had dinner yet, I've been up. <laughs> candles are going to go, whoa, what's going on there? What's going on is, the, they get close to the guru or the teacher or the man who just has a lit candle. They're attracted to it. They don't know why, because that's their potential. The context is given. A master mm -hmm. is only a context. And then the context is creates an alchemy, alchemy that is purely done by the disciple, by the 
qualities and the potentials of the disciple because Gertrude Gertrude didn't, didn't do anything. He's just there. And, he, and out of him came all these 700 books of discourses. And uh, there a lot of things happen around a, a center of peace and bliss that isn't doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, absolutely. Immense creativity. We imagine if more consciousness was in the world, there would be more creativity. There would be more original in, in the moment to moment innocence of your own inner trust. You will suddenly find yourself having insights of great intelligence that you didn't even know were yours because they weren't. They, they are just, they, this is this mysterious phenomenon. The more you become quiet and luminous inside, the more, um, in the outer world, um, insights, solutions um, happen because you're no longer burdened with uh, what's going to happen next, or oh, you know, I can't let go of my past, and and you know, and all the people now are looking at all stuff coming and they're obsessing on the future and going, oh my God, I I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. And the yeah. fact is, if you if you start looking at everything going down in the future, no, you won't be able to deal with it because you're basically, your mind is trying to use that to create a goal, which will create time where you're just going to wear your jammies and go back to bed. <laughs> but this thing that's coming is going to get you in your jammies and in your bed. So a lot of those younger generations, and I, I, I have compassion for what you're going through because but it, but it will eventually, in the next five to seven years, a whole lot of you are going to rise up and you're going to be the people that make the human race survive. Maybe that's the whole jammy thing. It's odd, but I, there's something there's something to it because it, when I see it, it's very, very powerful. Yeah, well, you, the first thing you've got to admit is that you're shutting down. Yeah. And, and but, then you start to look at why. Yeah, and then we start going deeper. This is like what I was about to say a few times, but overlooked it with Krishnamurti saying, like, when you see a certain thing like that, you shut down. Okay, when you're watching, you're not going to judge it. You're just going to watch the whole thing before your consciousness, layer by layer, root by root, branch by branch, begin to grow a certain kind of tree of its totality. Why you're shutting down. How that happened that you now you suddenly you've been denied a future by people who ate your lunch for a thousand years, mm -hmm. and all these things, and that brings up anger, and then you'll see that branch of it, and then you'll see the whole thing, and that will bring grief. Very important for people to grieve about what is happening to the planet because it is our only home and it's a beautiful place. It's it's okay. This is a path of yes. It's yes to your jammies. In fact, you know, just be fully aware that you're you're in a fetal position in the basement of your parents, seeing that all the stuff that you were told you were going to get from college and the economy is not working. And is it any wonder that all the younger generations are embracing Bitcoin? Yes. Because, and the the boomers and the others are not because. They're stuck in the past. It's it, it's it's an odd thing that though right now your future looks like it's lost to you, mm. you are actually have no other choice but to redefine it all because mm. the system's broken down. 
do you beat on your burnt your smoking car you got to find a new form of transport yeah. if your car's completely broken down the road and you're just sitting there beating on your car it's okay let it happen but just see yourself watch the picture of that grow itself out into its full potentials and then when that is done you are no longer the thing being witnessed it forever changes you you'll see it come around you'll see the habits come they'll rush up on you and then they stop because you're a little more aware of the sleeping buddha mm. which is this witness the buddha is you all the pretensing and all the pretending not to be a Buddha or the pretending to be a Buddha, as a lot of therapists do, that that you get to you're finally on the right track in a way. Rather than trying to search for enlightenment, the enlightenment is seeing what is a habit that's making it forget itself. Yeah. You become the child that plays the game all children play where they go into the world of giant parents and the parents teach them in so many words hey i've got a game and this is an important game but it's a fun game and if you play this game right you'll be rewarded you'll be part of our family you'll be part of our nation mm -hmm. and here's the game pretend not to be a buddha yeah if you win if you play like an only an innocent open person can play you play not being the buddha and you play it perfectly you forget that you are a Buddha, and then you forget it was a game. Mm -hmm. Now you're part of our drones. You're another welcome fellow camel of our society. You're and not that, yeah. that happens to the cam camel when he becomes a rebel. That's the second stage where you begin to question. You begin to say, wait a minute. It seems like all this stuff you've been teaching me, if it's working, why is the world breaking down? That's what's so beautiful about this time. The world is breaking down because none of what the societies have been teaching us for 10,000 years is really the right perspective. And so this is as difficult as it is going to be for everybody. And I'm an older person, so the very young and the very old are the first people to go in this. So uh, I'm well aware of my position in it as a wave. The being inside me is ageless. But you, you find that agelessness. You find that. And it's very simple. And the, I can only say that I only, I have the tools. I, I contend as a hypothesis, not to be believed or disbelieved, because that's not science. Science is hypothesis. You have to know. Science means no, not belief. It means knowing. So the only way you know is by experimenting, by testing. Test everything I've said today, including this thing I'm about to say. I contend that I have sat with an authentic great master. And if you're feeling it, there's a certain presence that is coming off of me, which is kind of the contact high of being around somebody who gave me a context of enlightenment that the society that has coded us at the very start cannot give us. The Noah's Ark of Consciousness is that. It is you, it is me, and, you know, it is, uh, I can't think of a better time that could see thousands and thousands of people 
awaken to this, that no change can disturb, that no, all the things going south cannot disturb. And in from that peace comes answers, comes solutions by themselves. Mm. Yeah. So I've had a reading with, uh, with, uh, uh, sorry. I, I have had a reading with, <laughs> I have no name. it's okay. That, that was good. That was good. Cause, cause you, you, you're really channeling that presence. So, <laughs> yeah. so suddenly you're nameless. Um, well, so, my name, my Sanskrit name that Osho gave me is Dhyan Arjuna. They call me Arjuna. Arjuna. And it means meditation, Dhyan, innocence. Meditation's innocence. That is my potential in this life. Whether I achieve it or not, these these names that he gave us are just potentials. And like so, so, you know, uh, I'm known by people in the sannyasin community as Arjuna since I love it. And so, so Arjuna, also known as John Hogue, uh, you can definitely, I have had a, a reading done with John Hogue, and uh, it's a mix of astrology, the Osho Tarot, and whatever comes to mind. It's definitely a mystical experience. I, I, they'll be linked to it in the show notes. Uh, it, it's uh, John Hogue Prophecy is your site? It's Well, well it's HogueProphecy.com. HogueProphecy.com. I'm thinking after the show, I have a little like paragraph link thing. Yes. Just cut and paste it. I'll put it in. Page. It'll probably be even easier for people to get it. They won't have to take the step to my website. They'll just go boom to that. Boom. And then so. it takes them to the email. They put Hope Prophecy on it. And then I'm, as soon as I can get to it, which is usually the same day or an hour or two, uh, I, I will give you further instruction about what is involved in this reading and, and the times and um, how to pay for it. Yeah, and you will enjoy it. And yeah, yeah, and definitely your your new your new your new newsletter coming out, the PDF newsletter. That sounds amazing. I'm gonna have to sign up for that so I can check it out. So everybody, check these things out. It's worthwhile, and I think it's really fun to uh, shed some illumination on the uh, pajamas generation that's coming up right now. Because I think actually, I never thought of that, but it, yeah, it's it's all around me. It's true. It, the jammy generation. I'm gonna have to. Jammy generation. Yeah, the jammy generation. They've all decided that they're just going to do their kind of metaphorical 40 days in the desert, you know, in their jammies. And just they, they, they hit this world and it's so – and they went, wait a second. I'm going I'm – go, I need some time. I'm not ready. Wait until yeah. I'm like 30, then we'll talk. But I'm going to be ready when I put my pants on. <laughs> hey, I'm a late bloomer. I was very late. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, see? Jammy man. I'm 66, but, you know, because here's the thing. Don't worry about soon or late at all, because those are just things of the mind Mm -hmm. keeps it engaged. The truth is that when you're in, when you relax into the present each moment, you are, and you'll go out of it many times. No problem. Just whenever you remember again, ah, back. Not like, oh, I was gone all day. Not just, ah, I am back. The presence is here, rather than I am back. Is the presence is here, and um, when something is not of time, like eternity, which can be engaged right here, right now. That's its doorway. That's where it is. It's always here. 
Oh, it's now, no matter what the time is saying. Therefore, you can never be too soon or too late because those are elements of time and they are allusions to this, which is eternal. Eternally new and always in its newness different. Always new in a new way, but the same. <laughs> it's words can't describe it because words are of time. There we go. Sorry about that. I was just uh, I, I, I I muted myself there for a second. Oh. I was listening. <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, uh, I didn't want the typing sound in there. I was uh, putting your website into the live chat so people could people were asking for it. Well, I mean, it's been extraordinary. You know, I mean, as always. This has been three hours and three minutes and 33 seconds. Actually, is when we'll call it quits. And that's a great time to do so. And um, yeah, dinner, yeah, and <laughs> it's perfect. And if we, uh, you know, if, if the uh, world's still in one piece, I will see you again for our third anniversary. You know, we'll, we'll do it again. But this has been great. And really, um, let's say I've had a reading with John. It's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary experience. It really is. And I'm looking forward to getting signed up for the newsletter. So, I mean, it's been great. And this is three hours that it's going to, I'm glad we did this. This is great stuff. And, you know, so now when I see the uh, uh, jammy generation people, I'll say, you've come. <laughs> Thank you. Nostradamus jammies. Oh, yeah. You know, actually, you know what? <laughs> actually, that, that might be how you make the big money. Like when you're 66 years old, you're like, yep. That's when I hit like my serious fortune because I'm telling you what Nostra Nostradamus jammies would be the would be it right now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> everything old is new again. I mean, like, oh my gosh. Well, I love the 16th century shirt design. Oh, it's great. Trying to be the Incredible Hulk all my life. I'm always ripping out of my clothes, so I wow. want. You know, they were designed for sword fighting, so that really? you could move around without with your rapier without ripping out of your clothes. That's what oh, I think. Wow. But this is, became the common shirt of the 16th century, and I love them. Well, hey there, old Zoomers, and and uh, I put young young um, young millennials and uh, older Zoomers. I'm Basically, a generation eternity. A generation eternity, you know? It's like, well, I'm hey. exactly the same age as everybody and everything on this Yes. Planet. I'm 13.5 billion years old this year. I, I, it's exactly true. It's true. Well, you know, everybody look for the new uh, prophecy clothesline that uh, John's putting out because uh, it's really cool. It, I mean, it, it's taking jammies to the next level of prophecy. It's it. It's really. Jamadamas, <laughs> man. Jamadamas. <laughs> you know, and you know, it's like in India, everybody's wearing pajamas anyway because it's so hot. Yeah, <laughs> and lungies and all. I mean, basically, uh, they have the quality of being the same softness as being in jammies because it's subtropical and so hot. So, so a lot of the world's already wearing jammies, even if they don't know it. Yeah, they've already got the edge. So, so this, this, this younger generation's already kind of figured it out. They're going to be a very spiritual generation. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, well, thank you so much for being on. And uh, I will probably talk to you before then, but if not, I will talk to you next year. Yes, we'll see you next year or the next moment. <laughs> yeah. All right. You take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay.